All right, I do believe we are live. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Break the Rules stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov. Cheers, I got the raw milk over here in celebration of our uh, two guests. We have Daniel Grimhood, the great health coach Daniel Grimhood, joining us right now. And we are also going to have Uber Boyo coming in at uh, 1.30, who has uh, suffered an injury, which we're going to be talking about the uh, bone fracture. And we're going to figure out, number one, how do we heal this as much as possible with the resources that we have? And number two, in general, for all the people who are watching this, whatever stage of health you happen to be at, I would love to hear from you in the uh, super chats. Uh, please let me know what exact questions you have health-wise for uh, Daniel Grimhood. And uh, a little bit later on, maybe we're going to have some Patreons coming in as well. Patreon.com slash break the rules. That is the one opportunity that you being patrons will have. When you become a patron of Break the Rules, you are going to have an opportunity to come in, ask questions, have special Patreon-only stream. And once again, that's patreon.com slash break the rules. Anyway, enough shilling. I want to talk to you, Daniel, about uh, Joel, just in general, a lot of health-related questions. But how did you come to be in the position that you're in right now? Uh, it, it's, it's a long story. So I'll, I'll summarize a bit. Um, since I was a teenager, I struggled with paranoid schizophrenia. Uh, there was a period where I was doing a vegan diet where I became severely malnourished and that developed into epilepsy. During my first grand mal seizure, I ended up, uh, experiencing traumatic brain injury from, uh, long-term hypoxia, about six or seven minutes. Um, I ended up reaching out to a biohacking Facebook group that I had been a member of since very young. And it, it, there were a bunch of random suggestions like peptides, uh, various nootropics. But what one person really stood out to me, and that was... Um, a nutritional and herbal approach and lifestyle approach. So it, I, I was very skeptical at first, but I began implementing that advice within about six to eight months. I started noticing significant benefit. And then within about one to two years, I had completely resolved the paranoid schizophrenia, the epilepsy and traumatic brain injury. So I no longer experienced any of those symptoms whatsoever. And then from there, I ended up getting my health coach certification because I felt like I could help others in similar paths of life. And since that point, I've helped thousands of people with uh, various neurological, psychiatric disorders, autoimmune, physical um, addiction. Like it, it's been very wide ranging, but it's been an incredible experience and, that's been my journey so far. And what is hypoxia? Hypoxia is when the body is without oxygen. Um, it creates massive oxidative stress and inflammation. And then that can create damage within the mitochondria, uh, the brain, the central nervous system. I, 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 was, I was really bad off. Um, I essentially experienced symptoms of early onset dementia my memory had regressed to that of during childhood. It, it was, it was very severe and it was extremely frightening. Like being in that 
it, it felt like I was a, a shell of a person. Like I, I still had some form of consciousness, but I couldn't really communicate or function how I was able to previously. It was, there, there's no words to describe how scary that was. And why did that happen? Um, the, the way that I had had that first grand mal seizure, um, like my, my respiratory system like seized up. So I, I, my body was purple from the lack of oxygen and, um, it, it, it was just, I guess, a stroke of luck. My ex-girlfriend at the time called the, uh, the ambulance and then they had came to pick me up from the home that I was living in at the time. And I, I'm just very fortunate to be alive after that. Like there was a very high chance of not having survived that. Can you narrow down why it is that that occurred in the first place? If you can get to the root cause of that and the schizophrenia. The, the schizophrenia was, um, I, I have a bunch of like uh, genetic SNPs or anomalies that uh, make me predisposed to schizophrenia. Uh, I, there's a lot of mental illness that runs in my family. But um, after a, long, uh, a lifetime of malnutrition, trauma, neglect, uh, and then various poor lifestyle decisions, so like drug addiction, um, severe circadian disruption, like I would be up all night asleep uh, during the day. And then that essentially caused those genetics to express. And then I developed those symptoms of schizophrenia. Um, and then the epilepsy was a result of even more pronounced severe malnutrition after the vegan diet. Like I just wasn't providing my brain with the essential cofactors, like the micronutrients, the macronutrients, the fats, the protein to actually function properly. And then, um, that, that's just another case of epigenetics. Like I have my, my, my gene profile is, <laughs> it's very unfortunate, but I've managed to overcome all that by essentially reverse engineering what had got me to that point. So in other words, if we're talking about people in general, like let's say you have people, I don't know, let's think of the Hasidic Jewish community, for instance. There's a lot of problem in that community with, you know, cousins marrying cousins and, you know, there's a lot of inbreeding that rabbis are looking at and trying to figure out, like, how do we make sure that the wrong people don't marry each other so that these problems wouldn't uh, precipitate? Do you think that these are things that can be applied just like on a wide enough basis for communities to be able to start healing a lot of these uh, a lot of these different factors like how doomed are people to you know when already like a lot of uh, genes are messed up through inbreeding how doomed are they to continue living like that as opposed to being able to take charge and change things like in in one generation so with, with inbreeding it's it's kind of tricky there um that that's there's a difference between genetics and epigenetics. So epigenetics is a result of uh, gene expression caused by your diet, your environment, um, internal and external inputs, and then genetics is something that is set in stone. So it's about maybe five percent uh, maximum of 
diseases that are of a genetic origin. The rest of them are environmental and mitochondrial. So I, I do believe many things can be reversed, but it takes a lot of effort on the individual and then effort on uh, downstream generations. So it, it could take several generations to completely reverse epigenetics and then um, just intelligent mating with other people that are healthy or actually put uh, effort into their diet and lifestyle as well. But when you're saying genetics, not uh, epigenetics in this case, and you're saying that it's set in stone, how set in stone is it in terms of several different generations? Like at least in terms of the North Koreans and South Koreans, you have the next generations uh, being much taller in South Korea than in North Korea. So you have certain things, you know, certain dietary things, I think, that play a role in that. So how much would it take for there to be like a very great genetic leap from, you know, uh, from A to B? Uh, it would take about six or seven generations for like a, a very massive leap of uh, evolution to occur. Uh, I, I, I've written about this uh, briefly on my Twitter page on uh, twitter.com slash Grimhood. Um, yeah, it, it, I would say about six to seven generations. And then um, like for, for set in stone changes to occur for the, the genome. And then... So when, yeah. you're, so when you're saying yeah. set in stone, in other words, you're not talking about set in stone for the rest of the generations. You're pretty much just talking about the person. So, for example, with, um, with my father, my father had a uh, bent pinky. Notice this pinky's bent, right? My father had yeah. a bent pinky from an accident on one of his hands, and I have it on both hands, the same bent pinky. So would that be an example of some kind of an external injury being passed on would that be genetic epigenetic like what are we talking about here that that would be epigenetic like if it's something that happens to the individual rather than over time throughout generations that would be epigenetic and then you pass on that mt dna mitochondrial dna towards your uh your offspring so but it, it was originally thought that only the mother passes on the mt dna but uh more recent research has found out that it's both the mother and father. So it, it, it's, it's a very interesting subject. It, it can get really complex. Oh, absolutely. So as you can see with the fig fingers, I guess if you were to take my word for it about the dad, that would be a definite example of uh, it being passed on from the father's side. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, as far as, let's say, things of a uh, more uh, health-related nature, what exactly do you see as being, and for, there's probably a lot of different ones, but what do you see as being the most significant problem that is facing a lot of, I'm not even going to say Americans, but a lot of people in the first world, people who have access to a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of food. What do you see as being the biggest problem that a lot of them are facing right now? Uh, yeah, I'll go, go ahead. I mean, there's probably a lot to pick from here. Um, I believe... Uh circadian dysregulation and then high calorie malnutrition are like the causes of uh, many of the diseases that we're facing on a global basis in modern times now. So high calorie malnutrition, meaning uh, 
uh, many people are starting to eat just very nutritionally void foods that end up having a high caloric count. So like the refined processed foods, fast foods, uh, they're very devoid of actual nutrition or micronutrients. And then the circadian disruption is caused by the artificial blue light that is becoming so prevalent with technology today. Um, it, that, that's been, uh, it's been a worsening issue since about the seventies. And it's uh, both of these issues are, it's a very linear uh, correlation between the uh, increase of disease rates globally and the uh, advancements in both like these refined processed foods and the technology that we're beginning to utilize more and more. Um, yeah. So that, that ties back into the epigenetics where it's a very similar root cause of many of the diseases we're facing today, but uh, it can develop differently for each person. So uh, many diseases have mitochondrial dysfunction that, uh, underlie them. So insulin resistance or diabetes, obesity is, uh, it's both of the the high calorie malnutrition and the circadian disruption, but also the lack of physical activity. So there can be multiple factors, but those are the two main bases that I've connected with a lot of what we're experiencing today. Would there be a, a good pushback argument when looking at, for example, people who go to the gym and saying, well, look how many Americans are going to the gym today in comparison to how many did, yeah, I don't know, like uh, s- several decades ago. And you're seeing a lot of these Instagram photos of people just being, you know, incredibly pumped up. So that would be somebody's counter argument to say, hey, look at all these people. They're so healthy. They're so muscular. It's like they're way muscular than people used to exist before. I mean, maybe we have just like, a time of extremes or you have people who are extremely obese and people who are extremely muscular much more so than in the past or do you think there's something that that kind of picture is um is, is not painting so uh i i believe that the fit people based on like the research that i've seen is uh in the minority of the population today and then the reason why it it, it just uh, the internet or social media has just given them an outlet to show that off essentially. So th- they're, they're going to be more prone to sharing their feats, their uh, physical progress over someone that is becoming more and more obese, which wouldn't really, it, 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 it depends. Like the, the body positivity approach thing is uh, starting to gain a little bit of traction. But uh, it, it's it's primarily weighed towards like physically fit people that are more prone to sharing their their progress online. So I I, I think that's the main basis there. But again, um, that it, it it could be uh, both factors. What you just mentioned. And uh, there's a comment over here from uh, Thank You who says weak times, good men, strong men, bad times. Goo hard time make weak time strong. You get the idea what he's trying to say over here. So yeah, yeah. 
And that is kind of a thing that a lot of people who are reactionary bring up a lot of times, talking about how much weaker society got. Again, I don't have a time machine. I can't really say exactly what the uh, good things and bad things were back then. I'm sure there were a mix of both, as in today. Like, I don't want to... I don't want to take a lot of things that we have today for granted either, especially when we now have actually the ability to go out, find information out like you're doing about what we can do to get this back on track. While back in the past, you know, you could say that there are folk melody, uh, folk melodies, folk remedies out there, uh, you know, in various villages. But I don't know, like people at the same time died of things that today are easily preventable. Like, I can't really imagine wanting to go back in time. I would rather have the information we have right now and just try to utilize that, while probably most people don't. Most people choose... I don't know if it's right to say they choose to be ignorant, but most people, they just rather do something else. It's not that hard, at least if I'm not mistaken. It's not that hard to find a lot of these things out. Or is it? Like, how 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 do you think... How do you think things are going to work out from here on in with the majority of the population as opposed to the minority that tries really thinking about this and getting their lives back on track? Do you imagine there is going to be an even bigger divide among the uh, masses versus, I don't know if elite is the right word here, but I consider an elite whoever it is that's going to go out and get that information. Like, what do you see that kind of future being like? So that's a tough question. Um you can't really change anyone who doesn't want to change, but I have noticed more and more people are beginning to want to take charge, especially after the last two years. Uh, people are starting to wake up to the fact that the medical system isn't really here to provide uh, chronic health rather like the, the medical system is like you mentioned is it's very useful for acute things. But right, like chronic diseases, it's uh, lacking in treatments. Like a lot of the medications that are prescribed can worsen uh, many of the disease states or you need other medications to cover up the, the side effects of the baseline medication. But like antibiotics have saved many lives. Uh, the surgeries for um, like... Uh, infections so before you get sepsis you you can amputate that that limb very effectively without further infection uh broken bones like acute medicine is uh extremely useful and Mm. it's definitely extended our life but with the chronic health conditions that comes at a cost of uh health so like there's a difference between lifespan and health span uh, if you're not, you, you, you can live 80, 90 years, but if you're not healthy, it's gonna, just going to be miserable. So uh, you can have that life extended with all these new medications. But if you're like uh, diabetic, if, you're, if your uh, neurological system is degenerating, like with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, you're, you're going to have a very miserable time whether or not you're still alive technically. So that's one of the, the main issues with uh, that, that viewpoint that I've been seeing. And then um, 
Yeah, uh, I, I, I do believe that there's uh, more and more people waking up just to go back to what we were talking about initially. I, that was a little bit of a tangent. But uh, well, this may be a I, I, I do have hope. Mm-hmm. What'd you say? Well, I have a controversial question. I know that you have hope, but my controversial question has to do with uh, whether you think whether you think that a lot of uh, the people who end up surviving today who before would have just perished because of whatever, you know, their body wouldn't have been able to deal with. Do you think that that weakens humanity in general? And do you think that would perpetually weaken to such an extent that we would be more susceptible to something that would just lights out as opposed to having the kind of body that would develop through, you know, this process of the weak dying off and the strong surviving. And it's a very cruel thing to say, you know, I don't even want to look at it that way, but is there something to it just for the sake of trying to figure out how do we prevent something like that from happening? At this point, I don't think that's avoid. Like I, I absolutely agree with that, that perspective, but at this point, I don't think it's avoidable because you can't just, you can't kill people off. You can't let these people die. Um, that that's just not how our society or medicine is is designed today. So that it, it's going to come with its own detriments. But um, yeah, I, I don't I don't really have a solution for that one. <laughs> yeah, no that is, that is a very tough one. The only solution I could think of is how to artificially create a certain amount of pressure in uh, people's lives to such an extent that it to uh, test the system, but not to the extent that it would, you know, uh, kill them off, you know, like something, I mean, that's what gyms are for, you know, that's what sports are for. We do test our system on a regular basis by participating in these things. Same yeah. thing with education. That's how we end up testing our minds in order to uh, grow smarter. But I guess that's more of a, it's less of a health question. I do want to move on to more health question. That's more of like a mass society question of how do we organize society so that we don't end up uh, falling off. So yeah, I'm not really sure how to answer that when Uber Boyo gets here with his uh, Nietzschean takes. uh, Maybe we're going to get a little bit deeper into that. So let's hold that thought. I want to get back into magnesium. And I was showing you the magnesium that I have is somewhere in the back over here. But magnesium has been one of the biggest things that you were advocating for. And uh, I want to know why. What is so special specifically about magnesium? So uh, magnesium is used within 3,000 plus. I think it's 3,174 processes that have been discovered so far. But uh, with the knowledge that magnesium is bound to ATP, or adenosine triphosphate, the body's primary uh, energy currency to t- for all of these processes within the body to actually take place, it becomes magnesium ATP. And then that is what is used in all of these uh, biological processes that make the body run. So like energy metabolism, uh, the ability to metabolize the protein, the carbohydrates, the fats, uh, the glutathione, essentially every single process within the body requires magnesium in some form. And then with the modern environment today, which is extremely stressful in a way that we haven't really evolved to adapt to yet, uh, it helps to reduce some of that stress. So 
uh, it increases stress resilience in, in, in uh, for lack of better terms there. And this and is a then, different kind of stress than uh, working on some kind of a, uh, you know, very body-oriented project where you have to pick things up, throw things around. You're talking more psychological stress, or what, what kind of stress are we talking about here mainly? That It applies to all stress, so both physical and uh, psychological. Um, yeah, it, it, it that ties into, uh, I, I, I've been talking a lot about the GABA and glutamate balance, the two primary uh, neurotransmitters for excitation and inhibition. So glutamate is essentially the ignition or the gas pedal for the body and the, the brain and the nervous system. And then GABA is the brakes. So you want to maintain a fine balance and the magnesium helps with that. So you're less prone to uh, not only like the uh, deterioration of the, the physical body, but also the mind as well. So it helps to uh, prevent a lot of the mental and uh, psychiatric conditions that people are experiencing today. Well, it helps to manage them. It was a major component to managing a lot of the symptoms that I was struggling with initially. I'm not sure if the illustration that I'm showing on the screen right now has to do with what you're uh, talking about. All that I did is I Google image searched glutamine and uh, GABA and a lot of these different yes. things uh, are there. And again, this is something that if I read enough books uh, about this, I'm going to be able to understand it way better than whatever I'm looking at right now. But I kind of get the <laughs> idea. So uh, when it comes to then these uh, other supplements that people are taking right now other than magnesium – the naysayers would say, well, our body only needs like this amount of these, you know, whether it's vitamin C, whether it's whatever, it only needs a specific amount and the rest, it just pees out of the body and you're just gilding the lily. There's no use to doing any of this stuff and it could actually be detrimental. What would you say to that? Maybe it depends on the kind of vitamins, but overall, what would you say to that? So, uh, there's a lot of controversy surrounding that. Uh, the RDA is a some of them are arbitrary but it, the rda was designed the recommended daily uh allowance for each of these micronutrients was designed simply for survival without severe or life-threatening deficiency so it, it's not an optimal amount of these micronutrients for the body to truly thrive and uh if you look at the nutrient profiles for a lot of the foods that we consumed on an ancestral basis, as well as the uh, spring or mineral water that we would consume regularly because we didn't have these purifica purification techniques that would strip the water of its natural minerals. The uh, ancient uh, spring or mineral water was very rich in the uh, four primary uh, minerals. So that's magnesium, potassium, sodium, and uh, calcium as well, uh, along with the bicarbonate, sulfate, and chloride. But those are, uh, those, those are less important than the four primary ones. Um, yeah, so our, our magnesium intake used to be vastly higher than it is today. The 400 milligrams is an arbitrarily set number. And uh, I do believe that, especially with the stress of the modern environment, 
both physical and psychological, uh, we should uh, maintain a higher baseline for the magnesium intake specifically. It, it, it ties back into the nutritional surplus theory that I talk about often um, with that, the, the, the modern stressors of today, we should maintain a nutritional surplus so that way our body is uh, able to maintain optimal health because any of these stressors, illness, infection, uh, just general physical stress will deplete the body of these micronutrients. So that way it's able to maintain the processes that run it properly. It's The body's always trying to maintain homeostasis. But when these processes take place, it utilizes micronutrients for those uh, reactions to occur. Now, if you're deficient in any of these micronutrients, that's when disease begins to develop. And then it's it's very it's a very prevalent issue today. It, it ties back into the high calorie malnutrition that I was talking about at the beginning of this interview. It also reminds me a bit of that uh, guy Kellogg. I don't remember his first name who made that cereal with the intent of, and I want to talk a little bit about the Vril stuff when Uber Boyo gets here. I want to save it for that. But suffice to say, it was done to prevent young men from being too sexually active. And it seems like that's the way a lot of our food has uh, gone. Maybe not for that particular intent, but that seems to be the outcome. Even when it comes to sex, right now it seems like you know less people are having sex. And uh, is there something also that food contributes to as far as there being a lack of uh, sexual activity or is that not really as related? Yeah. So it, it, it again, with the, the biological processes, the micro uh, hormone production, what runs our libido or fertility is uh, it's based on the micronutrients and light. So that that's natural the natural full spectrum uh, uh, light wavelengths from sunlight comparatively to the artificial blue light in isolation of uh, modern, like many people are stuck inside all day. They never see the sunrise. They never see the sunset. The sunrise is most important. Uh, it's rather than just the blue in isolation with artificial light, it has the blue, the green, the red, the infrared, and then beginning with UVA and then later in the day or midday, it begins uh, to uh, switch over to UVA and UVB. So the full spectrum of light is necessary to set the circadian clocks that run every organ within the body. And then uh, hormone production, neurotransmitter production. And then that, that's one of the major factors that uh, contributes to the low testosterone on men specifically, and then hormone dysregulation of women. So it, that one can really vary. Metabolic health plays a role. And then the uh, nutritional deficiencies also play a role. So yeah, I do believe the food is a major, major factor in the lack of uh, libido and fertility that we're seeing today. But there's also the uh, Met metabolic health ties into that, but the, the light and then physical activity also tie into proper hormonal health as well. 
And you could maybe see it. Uh, you don't want to attribute motives to uh, Dr. Kellogg. I don't even know if he was a doctor. But I don't want to <laughs> attribute motives to the bearded gentleman. But it would make sense if you think about it. Like when you're just eating these greens all the time, you're not really going to have as much of this energy. And I guess for him, it was a matter of we have to keep people on the Christian straight and narrow path. They cannot divert away into their horniness. So that's why they're going to have to just eat all these grains all the time and just uh, be passive. I heard there's a similar thing in prison food as well, where they would just feed you like the most uh, caloric, uh, cal calorically, uh, nutritionally empty slop so that yeah. people would be, you know, and they have the prison gym to kind of offset that. But I guess, I guess the direction that it's going to is, I don't know if these people originally intended for people to be as robbed of their vitality, but it almost, uh, I don't even think it's a conspiracy in that people would rather just sit and eat junk that tastes good as opposed to the highly nutritious things. I mean, even as little kids, they're given, like I've seen four-year-olds being given potato chips for crying out loud, you know, and it, yeah. that's going to do something, I think, uh, well, as we were mentioning, to your brain and to your energy levels. But do you also think that there is some, if we were to put on the tinfoil hat here for a second, do you think that there is some benefit for people to keep people in this state or is it just profit i don't want to dwell too much on the conspiracy angle but just if you have any thoughts on that if you think it's all bullshit and it's all just people spending money on whatever they want and whatever is cheapest or do you see there being something else going on here i think it's a combination of both because a lot of this uh research on it, it the research has dropped off in more modern times more focused on just medical drugs but uh, there was a lot of research that tied uh, what I've been talking about in the early 1900s, very, very late 1800s. But um, like it, it, we figured out all these, these biological processes like hormone production, for example, were tied to nutrition for these processes to run properly. And uh, it, 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 it used to be very common knowledge. And now it's becoming more and more suppressed. And, um, yeah, I, I do believe there's intention, but, uh, a lot of these refined and processed foods are specifically designed to keep people addicted and then also very complacent because they don't have that proper brain function, the hormone neurotransmitter production. Um, yeah, j just to get a little tinfoil there. Mm. <laughs> and it may be, I think the best kind of balance where, people would have all the sexual energy, but they would be able to be very disciplined with it. I see that as being different than just depriving yourself of having that energy in the first place, or just, you know, walking around in this inebriated state. But speaking of that, I want, okay, Uberboy should be coming in soon. And I wanted to talk about this stuff when he gets in here more. But in general, what is your opinion of something like NoFap? The uh, seminal retention, all that stuff? Uh, I, I do believe there's application like it. Uh, it's more so I, I believe it's more so targeted towards like people that have a addiction to porn or masturbation. So if you're masturbating, like I, I've seen people report like seven times a day, more, more than three times a day is going to be a major issue for sure. Like maybe once, twice max. Um like it, th those would be the people that would benefit from NoFap. But like, if, if you don't have an issue with that, I don't believe it's an issue 
to uh, ejaculate like really at all. Um, it, it, it can be very nutritionally demanding or straining if you're doing it as excessively as I've seen some people online talk about. But um, like if you're depriving yourself of like a sexual or emotional connection to a woman or a man, if you rule that way, um, I, I, I believe that's not going to be of benefit comparatively. Why do you think there is such a focus on the uh, seminal reta- retention when it comes to these uh, Buddhist monks, for instance, or people who engage in spiritual practices? Uh, people describe things, for example, like, well, I've described a lot of times on the stream of uh, Kundalini, this uh, energy that people feel in the back of their spine. I know you've described the Kundalini as being like the intestine. I don't know if that was uh, a joke or not, uh, but as far as kundalini the way that i understand it is that it is the spiritual energy that people can uh, harness where they feel a liquid in the back of their spine when they breathe in and out and the liquid goes up through their spine again i'm not talking about like a physical liquid that you can extract and yeah. look at but this is a phenomenon that at least with like these tantric hindu yogis they've talked about this a lot and now I think a lot of people in the West are also discovering it, but people are still scratching their heads as far as trying to understand what the hell is this? Why is this yeah. happening? I, I, I do believe there's basis to that, but like with most of these ancient practices, it's becoming really watered down. So the understanding it will never be uh, fully understood with the, these watered down concepts. So there, there's definitely basis to it in terms of... Uh, energy harnessing or utilization, um, whatever you want to call it, the, the key, uh, prana, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, it, it, it can be very useful to really harness that energy. And then uh, I don't believe it's necessary, but it can be it, it can be very useful for that, especially living in the modern environment where so many people are uh, – hyper fixated on sexual activity, masturbation, porn. Um, it, it can be really useful to really come back into yourself and then uh, recirculate that energy that you're otherwise excreting into the into the universe, essentially. Well, when you say useful in your experience, where does the usefulness come in? Um, when I, when I was, uh, I, I'm in a, uh, I'm married now, so uh, I, I don't really practice it anymore. But when I was uh, single, it was um, it it really helped to um, manifest a lot of like the, the spiritual connection that I felt to the universe and nature. Uh, it, it can really make you present within your own body because you have to, especially in the modern environment, you have to fight that hypersexuality, like the the extreme sexual thoughts that can arise with uh seminal retention um and then really uh funnel that energy into more productive uh activities or tasks very interesting and because uber boyo is here i think this is the absolute right time for us to be having that kind of discussion although i'm going to first ask uber boyo to talk a little bit about uh the current situation that he's in 
the uh, injury from, I don't know if it was the, the horse that you wanted to save or what exactly was going on there. At least you wrote that on Twitter. But either way, welcome Uber Boyo, and thank you so much for uh, coming back in here. It's always a great pleasure Hello, to see you, brother. Testing. So it seems yeah. like things are not going well on my Hello, end. can you hear me? Uber mm -hmm. Boyo, I can hear you. Can you hear us? No? All right, so while Uber Boyo is figuring out what is to be done here, any other thoughts on this uh, sexual stuff before we keep going? Because I know that, for example, Hanuman was a very big influence. I don't know. I don't know if Hanuman was a big influence on you. I just see you posting Hanuman all the time, Grim. So what exactly is your connection with Hanuman, Hinduism? Let me know. Testing. So, uh, yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. My bad. I couldn't hear you there for ages. Apologies. Oh, all right. No problem. <laughs> Running the so uh, Hanuman, oh, let me back up there. My sure. grandmother and older brother uh, practiced Hinduism. Like a after vi visiting India and connecting with um, uh, some gurus there, they uh, were very deep in practicing Hinduism. And then the Hanuman was a figure that was very prevalent throughout my childhood. So, like, they would always have pictures. They would, my older brother specifically, would be praying to Hanuman. Um, so, it, 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 it stuck with me. And then uh, after the traumatic brain injury, uh, that was one of the, like, you, you know, with near-death experiences where you'll have, like, beings uh, appear to you. Hanuman was who appeared to me. So, that was a very important figure throughout my 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 own health recovery and then it just he helps me to remind myself of my own personal power uh, my ability to give and uh, provide service to others as well as continue to persevere throughout any obstacle that i face well, speaking of providing service to others, and that was very uh, beautifully said, but speaking of providing the service to others, Uber Boyo, I would love for the two of you to be able to uh, speak right now, especially speak about uh, Uber Boyo's uh, recent, uh, recent incident. So, uh, Boyo, take it away. You got to unmute yourself. Sweet. There we go. No, no problem, no problem. Well, look, I don't want to come in and uh, hijack everything for the sake of my situation, but uh, I did have a crash there recently. I was, I was in a crash and that broke my... Well, it had several things. It broke my elbow and uh, broke broke it in several places and dislocated it as well. It's pretty painful, pretty pretty bad experience. So right now I'm uh, sort of going through the trenches of a uh, rapid recovery and whatnot. But by all means, if you just want to chat there for a little bit, I can kind of get the understanding of the vibe. Or if Mr. Grimhood mm. has any uh, tips on rapid bone healing, should I be dosing triple dosing magnesium or something like this, or what? What should I be up to? Um, I'm I'm all ears. So well, I was, uh, yeah, I was showing Grim earlier the uh, footage, and I could put it on the screen as well. But yeah, Grim, what do you think? My uh, my younger brother had a similar. I think it was the last year, maybe the year before in 2020. But he ended up. We were skating together, and we uh, he ended up getting on. Uh, I forget what it's called. One of the the grinding poles. He ended up slipping and then uh, slamming his wrist into the grinding pole with all of his body weight and snapped both of the bones in his arm. Um, I was able to help him. I, 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 he showed me the, the post that you were talking about with the, the experimental peptides. I think the, 
BBC 157, TB 500, and then GHK, GHK CU would be very useful if you go that route. Uh, the injection is very likely going to be more uh, useful over oral consumption, though. That's that's one of the issues with the, the peptides. But uh, for my brother, I ended up megadosing him with oral and topical magnesium because it's necessary for uh, modulating inflammation. So preventing excessive inflammation, but allowing enough stimulus for that healing process to still occur. Um, and then it also goes into bone repair processes. So modulating the osteoblast and osteoclast. Um, vitamin K2, MK4, which is present in grass-fed ruminant animals, butter, dairy, uh, cheeses. That would, that would be extremely useful, or you could supplement it as well. That goes into uh, providing... It, it's necessary for the calcium metabolism to really strengthen the bones again and uh, provide the baseline cofactors to uh, go into that restoration process. Uh, vitamin D, specifically sunlight uh, at sunrise, midday, and sunset would be extremely useful. So that way you provide the UVB for the vitamin D production, again, the calcium metabolism, and then uh, red and infrared specifically during sunrise and sunset is uh, extremely healing. So it, it fuels the mitochondrial function, the energy to repair your body. And it's very anti-inflammatory too. Um, some of the herbal medicines that I gave him were, oh, it, it, in terms of other food, I had him eat about one to two grams of protein and then maintain a caloric surplus because when your body is in a state of shock, or a major stress like it is now, uh, it's going to be in a catabolic state. So you're going to be burning through nutrients and macronutrients at a more rapid rate than you normally would. So really maintaining the caloric and nutritional intake is going to be very, very crucial to a, a fast healing process. Uh, so the, the amino acids are necessary for the, the bone repair. Um, essentially any any repair within the body. So about one to two grams of protein per body weight is going to be very helpful there. Um, just focusing on nutrient-dense foods. I would throw seafood, shellfish, uh, eggs, red meats. Bone broth could be very helpful as a good source of the uh, amino acids and calcium. I actually uh, just eating eating a load of it right now. There's like a big pot of it on downstairs. It's that's it's, perfect. Uh, cooking away. It's cooking away. Big, big lump of bone marrow. So I'm going to suck that out of it and that will sort me out, hopefully. Yes. Yes. It, it, it Keep up with the bone marrow and that'll help a lot. Uh, the, I, I saw you talk about the raw milk. That's going to be extremely, extremely useful yeah, for I'm the drinking, calcium and the rest of the micronutrients. I'm drinking like uh, a, gallon of, a gallon of milk a day at the moment because you were saying about mm -hmm. the, cal ca the calorie surplus and someone else told me that. So I was like, what's the simplest way? You know, them bones, them bones need calcium. Need a calorie surplus. It was like, right, fuck it. I'll go for a gallon of milk a day, see what happens. Yeah, uh, three, it, it, it should help significantly yeah, there. Uh, for the herbal medicines, uh, my, my brother was a prone to uh, opioid addiction. So <clears> I helped him manage the pain without any opioids. So black seed oil. Uh, there, there's a, 
there's an herbal medicine called bone set called Drynaria Fortunae. It's used for uh, bone cancer patients. So it helps with the pain relief for that. And then it also it improves the, the uh, bone healing rate as well. So the processes that go into that, uh, astragalus, romania, blue lotus is really good for pain. Um, blue lotus. Actually, yeah. I'd love to ask you a little bit about um, the pharmaceuticals because I had quite the strange experience. Because obviously, I, I don't really take, uh, not obviously, but I don't really take painkillers that much. Um, almost never, to be perfectly honest. And I try to warrior through the best way I can for the precise reason is that when something like this happens and when I actually need them, they're going to be like yeah. hyper effective. And so what happened, obviously, is this broke. And I was like, right, I'll try my best to go without painkillers. But then man it kicked in and i was like wow this is probably the most pain i've ever felt so i said right <laughs> fucking, i'll try a couple of things now two things came up first people were telling me to not take inflammatory painkillers like ibuprofen too much is all right some people are saying you're gonna have to take them a little bit but inflammatory anti-inflammatory sorry pain painkillers it will will stall the healing process especially if you take a shitload of them for a long period of time and whatnot um, and I think you mentioned something about that uh, earlier, which is something to do with the healing thing, which I think is a really interesting topic. I don't know enough about it. But if you know any more about that, for the sake of the audience, perhaps watching and um, discussing the, the problem of uh, inf inflammation being a positive response in the body for healing and suppressing that by f like just drugging yourself uh, into a stupor is actually not an intelligent idea as much as you would think. Um, so that was that was one thing. And I'll, I'll talk about the second uh, second thing, maybe after that, if you have any comments on that. Yeah. Uh, so. It, it, I, I talked about, I think it was before you came on here, but there, there should be a fine balance between inflammation, like excessive inflammation. Uh, I, I used this example the other day on Twitter was uh, you, you like a cytokine storm. Uh, people may be familiar with that from the, the COVID situation recently. That's something that you would want to manage the excessive inflammation for, but you still need some level of inflammation to stimulate the repair processes when the, within the body. A lot of these pharmaceutical or over-the-counter anti-inflammatory drugs, such as the NSAIDs, are extremely potent in the regard that it will just uh, wipe out essentially all the inflammation present, especially if uh, you're consuming excessive amounts to like completely dampen that inflammatory response. That's why I'm more partial to herbal medicines, because it still will either simulate those repair inflammatory processes or it just won't ex completely extinguish the uh, inflammatory response. It, it's not as potent as a lot of these uh, pharmaceutical and over-the-counter drugs are. So that, that, that was um, what I was referring to a little bit earlier. The magnesium chloride is very useful for that because it stimulates the uh, the neutrophil response, which is necessary for the re, uh, the repair processes within the body. I'm, I'm trying to simplify this. Uh, I'm not sure what the the baseline knowledge is for this uh, the audience here. So I'm trying to simplify it as much as I can. Well, um, I I might be a good representative of it because I'm you know a bit of a grug when it comes to this stuff. But obviously, I've been doing my research the last while. So, um, th this is this is a very very uh, you, you read about it and. You read, they say, like, if you want your bone to heal, 
the process is actually quite fascinating because obviously what has to happen is the bone has to get inflamed, which draws the body's attention to the problem. And yes. then it, it, it like, you know, it like paints it in all these uh, chemicals and all this, this, this crazy biochemistry. Man, when you read into this, you're like, this is, it's almost spiritual. Like you're reading into it and you're like, what the fuck? We are amazing. It's beyond yeah. belief what goes on inside of there. So the body paints all these signals onto it. And then this attracts, uh, I think maybe one of those cytokine storms. I'm not too sure if that's the correct thing, but whatever it is, it attracts a huge amount of inflammatory uh, uh, molecules or whatever it is, biological processes. And that's what's causing it to hurt. And that's specifically why I noticed that uh, when it, this first happened, it was it was brutal. My arm was like hanging, dangling off. And uh, oh. it was, bro bro was broken in two places, completely dislocated. And it was phenomenally painful but i was i had such a high dose of adrenaline i was i was basically in shock i was like shaking you know my body started to vibrate and all that type of stuff from just the sheer it was just too painful for my body to handle so it just started to i started to go cold i started to get hot i started to go cold i started to get hot and um and i was walking around with that but weirdly is i don't know quite how, know how to describe it it was painful but it wasn't like the same as the pain that came later it was something that was manageable i could grit it out i could sort of i could like maybe shout in anguish and kind of calm my breathing and all that type of stuff but then you know they snapped it back into place that was, was some experience <laughs> i'll tell you something else that like to get you to like relax your arm i'm like bro i don't know can i relax my arm <laughs> just calm down look away and i'm like why and it's like <laughs> and you feel it's so difficult to describe oh. this but you feel like the it's almost like, do you know that crunchy feeling? You feel that like inside <laughs> the jelly of the middle of your arm and your muscle. Oh, it's disgusting, man. It's so painful. <laughs> and he, they pull that into place. I'm like, and I'm like, oh my God. But immediately the pain started to calm down then because the body's like, all right, things are back in place at the very fucking least. Your arms are dangling off the side of your, your thing. And mentally I started to calm down an awful lot. Yeah. Um, but then later, as I was lying down, you know, and the body relaxed and I, I came out of the adrenaline shock what started to come in <clears throat> come into gear was that <clears throat> that massive massive uh inflammatory dull ache that started to come and that's that's when it really kicked in that's when i was like fuck i actually need painkillers because i went without painkillers for the, pretty much the whole day i think i took a little bit of anesthetics at some point when they were like just like jogging the arm around or something like that yeah but then later like i i was sitting down and i was like holy fuck i slept the first night without painkillers but getting up in the morning i was like holy sh i couldn't even mm. move out of the bed and it oh. was that dull brutal brutal ache and it's like mental as well it, it makes you feel almost like depressed or something like that it was very very harsh and i assume that's the deep inflammatory response or something like that yes yeah th th that's what i like that that pain that is unbearable it's going to put your body in more stress than um, you're going to want for repair processes. So, like I said, there should be a very fine balance. Um, like, it, as long as you're not, like, high out of your mind on the painkillers, then it, it's I, – I don't really think it's going to be of great detriment. But the, well, the stress, the catabolic state that uh, such injury can put your body into can be counterproductive as well. And, and this is um, <clears throat> this is something as well that I think I should notice because then I got surgery as well. And the pain after the surgery was then a whole other... I've become like a connoisseur of pain because <laughs> the, the pain of the, the bone break is, is very... Um, 
dull very it's like heavy metal pain you know it's like brutal harsh dull uh, it's a it's a broken bone it's impact it's trauma but it's not the same as a surgery because i i i had to get some metal put into my arms because it was just so shattered like the elbow that they had to reconstruct the joint and everything that's pretty brutal stuff so the surgery was like burning and it felt like knives inside the middle of my my joint or something like that it's a fucking horrific pain and it la it's probably more inflammatory you no know, it's probably more um sharp and nasty mm. or something like this and so i actually took painkillers then that they they advised me to take and these were man like i was fucking high as fuck off these because i was trying to be <laughs> careful not to take too much of them and i was taking paracetamol i was taking a little bit of ibuprofen i was trying to take as little as possible trying to not go overdose and just take it when i needed it but after the surgery i was just like i couldn't i couldn't handle it so i took something called like mezzostal or some shit, shit like this and I was like lying down in bed that night and I was like, I kind of woke up and I was like, man, I feel weird. And I was thinking like, what does this remind me of? And I was like, oh my God, this is, it was almost like an acid trip or something like that. I started to get like the bends <laughs> inside my body and my head started to like spiral and my thoughts started to go like a bit, a bit fucking wa wacky and strange and all this type of shit. And it, it made me remember. And then the feeling inside the arm, like the feeling inside the nervous system was it, it almost like, I, it's not like it made the sensation go away which is what other painkillers would do. But instead it was like, it just changed the feeling to be something that was less, it was more like warm instead of burning or something like this. And then I, you know, I was having all these strange responses to it as well. So I, um, yeah, I've, I've noticed like a, a vast array with this experience that, that, that you have to be very, very careful with. And of course you can, you can definitely like get blasted off these pharmaceuticals. Like I was the next morning, I just threw those ones away. Cause I was like, that's a real drug, man. Like that's not, mm. that's, not that's not a joke. Like, holy shit. Was, <laughs> yeah. I could have gone to the club mm. at that point. Like, well, uh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a question in relation to what could have been done as far as pain relief. Would you think that a super high dose of cannabis edibles would have been able to do the same thing for Uberboyo's pain without these particular nasty effects that people end up having from the pharmaceuticals? So, um, it, it really depends on the individual. Like, some people have a higher pain tolerance than other people. But um, immediately after surgery, especially major surgery like this, I don't think that it's... Uh, of long-term detriment to actively manage that pain for the first few days because that's when it's going to be at its worst and oh, then it starts no. doling uh, about a week or two after and then you, you're you're on a more smooth sailing path where the cannabis could be more useful um i i, I do believe opioids have their application but um I, you know, I, again if there's addiction risk that that can come with its own mm. detriments as well but with the uh, opioids, what I don't understand is, would there be a difference between, let's say, taking heroin versus taking oxys? Because I recall there was some conversation where they were talking about how oxys have something inside them that intentionally destroys the liver over time if they are abused. And that's different from just, you know, right out of the poppy seed type uh, things. So... Would you recommend that maybe people not take those kind of pay professional painkillers and go more the natural route? Or is there something dangerous about that that, let's say, the painkillers have, uh, you know, have overcome? So the, the oxys, uh, they contain Tylenol. They're, so excessive amounts of Tylenol is, is known to be liver toxic. So that, that's how they, uh, how they try to prevent, like, uh, consuming too much. Because you can die of liver failure if you take too much <laughs> uh, Tylenol. But um, 
in, in regards to the oxycodone and the heroin itself, they're, they're very, very similar. There's very little difference. Uh, like some addicts will describe very slight differences in how the highs feel, but the, the yeah. underlying pharmacology is exactly the same. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, with, with the addiction risk, it ultimately comes down to, um, how you're administering those drugs. So like if you're IVing them, then it will be extremely addictive to the individual. But like some people don't respond in the same way if they're just consuming it orally. It, 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 it ultimately comes down to many factors. Hmm. Uh, is, is, um, is morphine doing the rounds anymore? I, I, like, I know from all the old films and all that type of stuff, morphine is the go-to. But that's, that's evolved into more um, specific synthetic opioids or something like that. Is that the case? Because I, I'm, yeah. I'm in Europe and I didn't get any opioid at all. I, to be perfectly honest, I would have loved one. I was sort of like, man, give me the most powerful fucking shit that just like gets me whacked. Going like, give me the opium pipe. I'm happy. Like, just give me something because I, think <laughs> I, I basically had paracetamol in there and, uh, and then all these weird like, uh, strange super drugs. They were, the, these drugs were specific for stuff like I, I think it might have been arthritis or something like that because obviously I'm dealing with joint pain so it was a very specific post-surgery drug that they gave me that was really fucking crazy but I was wondering why I didn't get offered like morphine or an opiate of some sort uh, maybe it's not a thing in Europe and I don't know Uber Boy if you're seeing the picture on the screen over here with the uh, Power Ranger it's on the uh, it's, Based, on, uh, it's that in the chat me. that was basically <laughs> me basically, basically, that's basically I'm like the guy looking at the Patrick Bateman photos and being like it's literally me <laughs> Uh, so I, I'm not really familiar with the uh, the laws in the UK like very extensively. I know that uh, a lot of substances were like completely restricted, mm. um, and then like prescriptions are also very restricted. But um, yeah, it, morphine has been getting more phased out for like Vicodin, the oxycodone, uh, some cases codeine, depending codeine on codeine. I've heard of yeah. Yeah, the the coding is more for like coughs and bronchitis. Like it's not it's not going to be really prescribed for um like sur like major surgery in most cases. But uh mm. yeah, more I would say that morphine is getting phased out a little bit. It's it's uh I'm not really sure. I, I haven't really kept up with a lot of pharmaceutical uh regulations recently. Mm. So from here do you have any expectations as far as what Uber Boyo is going to be in for based on what you saw, based on how dedicated uh, Uber Boyo is to improving these things as quickly as possible? Yeah, it, it ultimately depends on the individual again, but uh, I, I, I think he could repair it within like maybe three months max. Um, it, 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 I, I haven't really experimented with the uh, those peptides. I, I'm just familiar with the research and anecdotal reports from my biohacking friends. They've had a lot of success with them. So I, uh, I can um, I can give you what I know about them, and like you obviously have a more fleshed out knowledge, but maybe it'll kind of catch the audience up and all that stuff. But uh, yeah. Like to to something that Mr. Mr. Grimhood here is saying that I actually do think is very important. Just having gone through the experience, is that like this is it's very mental. Like pain is when something like this happens to you. This is going to sound like fucking Tony Robbins seminar or something like this, but it is a blessing in disguise because you 
are you, you've we've all this shit going on in our lives. Like I've all this stuff I'm thinking about. I'm trying to make a new video. All these type of things. So I've got this 400 things whirling through my mind, and it's like the old Buddhist saying: you're not very like present in your life. You could say it that way. You're concerned with the the ins and outs of what's going on. Um, when something like this happens to you, pain is impossible to ignore, especially when it's that extreme. Like you're forced. It's almost like your God grabs you, like you're a dog, and shoves your face in the mud of life and says, "This is your reality. This is pain. This is where you are." And you just have to be with it. You have to sit there and everything just gets sacrificed. Everything gets contextualized. And you all of a sudden start to deal with this immediately serious problem. And what's one of the hardest things about it is, is the mental side of it. Because then you start feeling sorry for yourself. You're like, why is it me? Why did it have to happen to me at this point? What's going on here? Will this ever end? Because believe me, man, like day two after the surgery, I was like thinking to myself, this is like, I'd rather cut the fucking arm off at this point and deal with this. It's so sore. Like it's crazy. And then taking it, like I took too many of this weird drug and it started to kind of set me off whack. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, you're stuck in your thoughts. And so the experience is very mental and it's a very strong mental war. And then even the experience of dealing with the pain itself, you're almost battling your mind because if you are afraid of what is happening to you, the pain gets worse. Like fear and pain are, are very, very deeply related. So as I was saying, I was walking around the thing at the hospital with my arm fucking dangling off. And because I felt I was in the hospital and they were going to take care of me, I wasn't panicking, you know. But uh, when I was outside the hospital, I was it was excruciating. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? What, the, what is going on? And then when they snapped it back into place, you know, it's it's once my mentally I started to believe that things were OK and I was like, are going to be all right. Things started to get an awful lot better. And the pain basically went away the first day. I by the end of the first day, I had basically completely manageable pain. Like I was I was I was chirpy. My friends were being like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? You're like on in a good mood because I, I had overcome the worst of it. And then obviously the next day is when it became more like about the long-term problems, dealing with the, the, the pain. And that's when I was actually in worse moods. And that's probably where it hurt more and all this stuff. So mentally, it's really, really, really important to, to, to fight with your mind on this and understand that it's maybe even an opportunity to craft that uh, power to be able to deal with this and, and constantly bully yourself into thinking uh, like, you know, the can-do attitude that is so important because mm. it really is a real thing. It's really a real thing. Like it, it broke me several times. I think that's part of it. Like just several times where you just, you cry out despair. You're like, ow, please stop. This is too much. Like what's going on? You take too many drugs because you're trying to escape it or something like that. Well, but, um, this, uh, this leads to something that Grim and I were talking about before you got here, which I think is a pretty important question. But before I ask that question, I want to let everybody know that we are going to be taking super chat questions. So if you have any health questions you want to ask to Grim, if you have any Nietzschean questions also semi-related to health that you want to ask to Uber Boyo, sneed those super chats right now. Also, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to add a like. Adding likes is very important for the algorithm. And please share this video with everybody you know. And uh, yeah, please uh, support both Uber Boyo and Grimhood. They both have Patreons, which I'm going to be putting in, as well as patreon.com slash break the rules. Support all three of us. Anyway, with that being said, my, thank you for that. My question is... When it comes to a lot of people today that end up living because if they were to be weak enough, they would have died off from various diseases, from various, yes, from various problems that have occurred in, you know, the generations past. What do you think, and this is for both of you guys, and Grib sort of answered this already, not really that optimistic, but uh, that's why you should probably go first. What do you think is going to happen as far as our like the health of the masses goes if a lot of people are going to keep living 
and have subsequent generations who did not succumb to dying off through these things that are now very easily preventable. What do you think is going to happen long term? Can we maintain our, you know, our vitality, our strength, or are we going to be forced to just always have to take something in order to keep surviving? And at a certain point, is that going to come to a head where it's not going to be enough anymore? Like that seems to be the grim, uh, pardon the pun, the grim scenario here. Uh, well, my my plan is uh, like, did you ever see Fight Club where they kiss them with the chemical burn and to in, indoctrinate them in the cult? Everybody wants to follow me. I'm going to break your elbow. That's the way it's going to work. And that'll be like the spiritual experiences. See, are you tough enough? See, can you, see, you can go forward with it? I think um, this this opens up into two distinct uh, questions because it is actually very notable going into a hospital and uh, walking around and seeing some of the people who are like, you know, you can you can kind of tell they're regulars. And they are dealing with uh, it's like some some people are in there and it's 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 a wonderful institution. Western medicine is phenomenal in its ability to deal with like serious trauma and all this type yes. of stuff. And there's an awful lot of negative sentiment online about it. And I understand this. Like, believe me, I, I, I didn't enjoy the last maybe the last uh, big mimetic sequence of the last couple of years and all this type of stuff. But at the same time, um, there's there's something phenomenal about it, or something incredibly powerful about it. The procedures, the ability for them to do these advanced type of things. But there is also something weakening about it. It's taking out the pressure of nature. Like if this happened to me in the jungle, I would have had to bite on a, a stick, pull it back into place myself. Uh, and just fucking get the fuck on with it and deal with maybe a wonky arm for the rest of my life. And it's sort of like, you know, at some point you'd probably mentally deal with it. You'd get, you'd get over it. Like you'd, you'd, you'd overcome it and, and you'd, you'd be the strong, one strong enough to do it. And actually out in the wild, many animals who break, like if a horse breaks his leg in the wild, that, that horse is dead. You know, that is, not a, that is not something that you can, you can have happen to you. So there's, yeah. there's an awful lot of difficult questions. Um, and like Nietzsche's obvious statement is that, well, the, the the big train of thought is that this is obviously going to lead to a weakening of the quality of average man, which le will lead to the last man, as we say, who will become the sort of mediocre tyrant over the whole world. And this is not a good thing. And all these health benefits are very, very dangerous and very, very problematic because they allow the weakest among us to survive. And again, you can I think you can lose nuance with this type of stuff. This is a. Uh, because these tools can also be ben mass massively beneficial to, I don't know, the, the mm. masters or the, the Ubermensch or something like this. Because think of biohacking, like your ability to go in and I, I will learn about peptides now because I need to heal my arm. But peptides are not just a defensive tool. They're also an offensive tool. Like if you start using peptides for anti-aging or getting your joints in order while you take maybe a, a very mild dose of steroids or something like this, or you take um, something like a peptide in order to you can take melotan for example i'm irish and you can take melotan i found out which is a peptide which increases the melanin in your skin you basically just fucking tan by putting a peptide in it's insane you just inject yourself with this mad shit and then you like become brown like you know you become you become more <laughs> jacked and handsome out of nowhere and i'm like what the hell this is crazy that that is obviously no medical benefit in some sense well i guess you could say it, it prevents sun cancer but at the same time it's like like you're, you're like this is crazy so you, you could become jacked tan you could basically become like a bronze age pervert acolyte overnight by using your peptides and all this type of stuff and and then you'll look at people at the very very cutting edge of this stuff injecting themselves with young people's blood and looking at stem cells and injecting them into their fucking artery straight and all this type of stuff and you're and you see the long-term possibility where there'll be a separation of two distinct castes which will be those who use all these tools to to placate themselves into the oblivion of of you know the 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 opioid drone and the pain killing and the escapism from life 
which is what these technologies offer. And the struggle, the, the lacking the spirit to deal with pain and the struggle of life, which these technologies will placate and these institutions will placate. And then you have these other people who will become ascendant, who will use these technologies to extend their lifespans. They'll start to like live longer. They'll start to be younger for longer. They'll start to be bigger and stronger. They'll start to genetically modify their children and stuff like this. And this will become, you know, the annoying fucking master race motherfuckers who will be like Klaus Schwab making everyone else eat bugs and all this stuff. But okay. I think perf- to be realistic, that, that stuff is, is probably going to happen in some way. Well, there's yeah. a, there's an interesting dynamic going on here where you separate it into two classes. I'd separate it honestly into three because when it comes to the Klaus Schwabs of the world, you look at the guy, he doesn't seem like he wants to lift any weights. So if he were to do something, it would not come from his own willpower in achieving something. It would be from having certain medications, uh, you know, like the blood that you mentioned or whatever. And my issue with this, and I'm curious, Grimhood, what you think of this, I think that there is a certain aspect to human willpower when you can not subsist on externalities, but instead basically create energy from within. And I think this is kind of what a lot of these uh, monks do. You know, monks, they fast a lot, yet they still seem to have a lot of this energy that they're able to generate. And it almost seems like if you only go by the medicinal route, only go by, I'm not going to have any, you know, maybe I'll exercise once in a while, but I'm not going to do anything beyond just taking all of these different peptides and things, all these different additions, where the person themselves is not applying any kind of force into the world in order to get a result. They're just having things being given to them. Do you think that there is a difference between that person and the person who does end up going within? And maybe if they supplement some some way, a lot of the energy is still something that comes from their own willpower. And it's still a bit fuzzy for me to define like where exactly you draw the line between what is focusing on more willpower and what is just... Uh, getting all these different nutrients in to you but do you think there is a difference there yeah so i i believe uh physical health ties into uh energetic health so it health in general is a very holistic holistic deal um when you have a powerful physical body your energetic body will be equally powerful as well it's been my experience where when I was very physically weak, malnourished, sick, uh, I wasn't really able to control my energetic body. Uh, that, 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 that's my uh, description of the paranoid schizophrenia in very simplified terms. Um, like it, it essentially shattered my mind being unable to process that energetic body. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I believe there, there shouldn't be, any disconnection like a lot of people will focus solely on the the physical rather than the mental emotional or spiritual i believe everything should be approached simultaneously for supremely optimal health and then i i I do agree with everything uh uh, boyo was saying about uh, his perspective as well um yeah it's a really interesting question you posed I can't imagine not only Klaus Schwab, but also somebody like uh, Bill Gates or even Elon Musk, who, you know, for all the credit that's uh, due to him, he doesn't really seem to be working out that much either. 
Like, I don't imagine if they would just take all these various nutrients, that would be that. And then, look, I'm not even talking about working out. Working out, I mean, as you can see with that uh, buffed-up niche over here on Uberboyo's website, which is uberboyo.com, by the way. Uh, like, there is something important about working out. But I'm talking even more along the lines of how much does your willpower that goes into working out too, but how much does the willpower itself end up in this, I guess, new agey way, I'm going to say it, how much does it end up changing the reality around you? So I know, Burboy, if you want to, yeah. The two things. I just want to clarify on a, a maybe a misconception you might be falling for here, because this is a common one. Um, vitality and longevity are inversely related in a way. This is the black pill on everlasting life, if you want to put it this way. Um, so looking like Nietzsche there is probably not going to be the thing that's going to lead you to living the longest life you possibly could. Um, the lot of the stuff that the people talk about, about living as long as you can, is more to do with uh, temperance and moderation. So for example, the rats that they have studied that live the longest are usually ones that they feed the least amount of food. This is one of the most consistent and successful ways to extend the lifespan of rats is give them calorie deficit diets and fast, make them fast an awful lot. And this causes all sorts of things where the rats will get smaller. The rats will um, obviously like run on less calories. Their metabolism will increase and be more efficient with the calories they're using. And also their bodies will go into these uh, sort of states where they they kill out an awful lot of the, the, the bad chemicals. And the point of this being is that uh, like the, the people who live forever, like, you know, Nietzsche being jacked here, Nietzsche was never jacked, of course. Well, maybe he was, we don't really know. But uh, like a dude roided up or a dude at the, the peak of his vitality is maybe a symbol of an ideal for man, isn't a symbol of what we would aspire that we, we could become. This is very much like, you know, Greek, pagan, European, pagan vision of like man at his peak of his strength, the ideal of his youth. Alexander the Great crossed with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like this is a, a peak of lived health, of vitality. And this is in some sense the sort of archetype of the guy who lives strong and dies young, who's like a, a force of nature, a force of life. And you could speak about that in terms of will. But that's slightly different than the, the type of energy that survives for a long period of time, because this is the one that doesn't spend all its energy immediately. This is something that actually extends that energy. Maybe its will is more um, long term. Its procedures are more tempered. It's a bit more boring and dull. But it lasts. It's like an endurance racer versus a sprinter. And the likes of uh, Elon Musk, like he's obviously not the paradigm in health, but if those dudes got in any way serious into maybe fasting a little bit, they, they, they could probably show up being like a little bit skinny and all this stuff. But as long as they're stacking wealth and they're, you know, skinny and demure and they're in fasting and they're keeping their, their bodies in temperate and te temperate states and they're like doing all these things to extend longevity. This is the thing is that the, the quote unquote masters who to end up taking over or something like this will probably be a load of dudes who are a little bit more frail or uh, not as, as they, they won't be jacked bodybuilders. Let's put it this way. And they will be people who are, are, are playing the game in this type of way. They'll be more like a priestly cast. If you want to think about it this way, there's something very similar to what you saw with the Buddhists and all this type of stuff. And they will, um, they will be living in this way. And then I think what you're sort of suggesting is the likes of Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab just look the opposite of both of those. They're just like fat, ugly, and not cool. And they're none yeah. of those things. And, and that is um, absolutely a, a good complaint as well. Are these guys going to be able to manipulate the science to extend them their lives, even though they are, are just decadent all, all over? Like that's, that's a good question, I think. And this turtle that I posted over here, it's 120-something years old. 
So this this guy's been around for quite a while now, and that is kind of like this example. Like the turtle is not overly buff; it's very slow and you know very careful. But look, it ends up living this entire life. I'm sure it's pretty a pretty fun turtle. I don't know, tortoise, tortoise. But anyway, what I'm trying to get at here though is if we're looking at like the ancient texts and if we take anything to heart there as far as who may have been the progenitors of mankind then we do have these various nephilim angels you know these tall beings with the bird wings and uh, these were beings that not only in the bible but in various other sources are touted as having lived for you know, thousands of years or hundreds of years, and they seem to be pretty strong. They're not like the turtle, you know, they seem to have the best of both worlds here. And it's almost like this is something that people are trying to, at least those who find out about it, they're trying to get to that level where they can have both, where they can live a long life, have a spiritual life, and at the same time, not look like Gandhi, you know, and not that Gandhi looked bad, I'm sure he looked all right, but you get what I mean, I think that is something that a lot of people, not a lot, but that is something that the people who are in the know about this stuff are very curious about, where exactly our limitations are, and I brought up, uh, as soon as Uberboyo uh, got here, I brought up the question of Hinduism, and Grim, you were mentioning that your, what was it, your, your parents uh, are... Uh, practicing can you just tell me a little bit about that because i want to see if we can connect that to what is going on here as far as what people are yearning for in terms of health so it it was my grandmother and older brother that were practicing uh hinduism my grandmother passed away uh, a few years ago but uh my older brother still practices hinduism um yeah, it, it's it's a little bit uh, difficult to tie religion into a lot of this, but um, as an example, Ayurvedic medicine ties in the uh, both lifespan and health span in terms of the dietary lifestyle practices, the herbal medicines, so on and so forth. Uh, like that, the butterfly pea, Clitoria ternitia, for example, is one of the uh, Ayurvedic Rasayanas that promotes longevity and uh, youthful cognitive function throughout the the lifespan. So there's a lot of factors that tie in uh, in regards to a lot of these ancient uh, medicinal modalities in terms of both lifespan and health span. And that's, that's been one of my focuses since I began my own health journey and then sharing what I do online, uh, is combining both of those concepts, the health span and lifespan. Because I I think it was before Boyle Boyle got here, but I was describing um, how modern modern medicine, like all the medications that were prescribed, like the the statins, the blood pressure medication, all all these things can extend our life, but then uh, it can decrease our health span. It can can decrease the health uh, itself by producing all these side effects, nutritional depletion, uh, all the all these issues, and then with those side effects comes more medications to manage those side effects, and it just this snowball effect that can uh, drastically deteriorate the health while extending lifespan. So there there should be a combination of both of those concepts, and uh, that that's 
I, I'm, I'm finding more and more people are coming to that realization that uh, there's something really wrong with just ex- simply extending lifespan without um, improving health simultaneously. It's it, it just, you don't, you don't want to be miserable living 80, 90, hundred years. And uh, just like a shell of a person. It, it, it's, it's not a fun experience. But what also I think is not a fun experience is when you get to be a certain age and you acquire a certain amount of wisdom and then it's lights out. It almost seems like we have this, at least today, the certain amount of years that people live. And sure, like there's a lot of old people who are dumb, but at the same time, there are certain people who have lived for a long enough time to the extent that they know certain things that they could pass on to others that is of great value, and then they just expire. So that's uh, not so right either. So the reason I'm saying this is that we have to find a way to combine that spiritual vitality that we were talking about before with living long enough, kind of like these mythological, whether they were real or not, you know, like these Nephilim beings, these gods that were talked about. Because again, I think that if these things have existed, and who knows, then there is something very special about trying to get back into that direction if that's possible. So the reason I bring up Hinduism, for example, is not even so much with the traditional practices that people do as far as praying to the various gods and Ayurvedic medicine, which is very interesting and very special and important, but more along the lines of a lot of these various tantric uh, paths that people take where they end up doing breathing techniques, where they end up doing certain practices to transmute their sexual energy, like we said before, chi, ki, vril, so on and so forth. And I don't know, like Uber Boyo, this seems to be a subject that I personally like grabbing onto a lot, but that is because I'm very curious about it. I'm very curious as far as what exact state can humanity be in when they start discovering a lot of the secrets there. Like I know Carl Jung talked about these things as well. He wrote a book on Kundalini. But uh, where do you personally see the uh, possibilities possibilities being here as far as what can people do with this primal sexual energy when they transmute it? To, to heal their broken elbow? Well, I'll, I'll see what I can try. I'll, see, I'll go no-fap as hard as I can. I'll send all <laughs> my urges deep into my elbow see what happens i i think um there's a lot of things to talk about this because um something that uh grim was talking about that that i found quite interesting and and maybe is is something we could spin is that i've become like tr- maybe through this experience a bit of a a western chauvinist because i sit down there and i break my elbow and i if this happened in the jungle you know i if this happened in an ancient tribe i would be brought to the shaman you know, I'd be brought to them, the healer, the magic man, the, the man of knowledge, the old man of knowledge, just like you were saying, the person who would die and then have to pass their knowledge on. Somebody. Yeah. Now, what's quite interesting is that if I was in this tribe and say three generations had gone without anybody breaking their, their elbow joint, what the fuck would you do about it? Like these guys would come in and it's like, how do we fix this? And it's like, I don't know. I, I my, my, my brother broke his, his shin before and some guy broke a rib and we just pulled his leg and it got back into place. But, like, we don't really know how to deal with joint problems. Like, I, I don't know anything about that. I wouldn't even know what a fucking joint is. Like, you just wouldn't understand, you know what I mean? So they wouldn't have the repository of knowledge baked into them. They wouldn't have, and this is literally what the word science means. It means an established, um, it's like a library. If you actually visualize what 
people are talking about when they say science the the, the europeans back in the day were imagining like this giant library scientia knowledge where they store information that is verified and this is the whole idea of the scientific method you're not allowed to add a book to the library unless it proves that it's verified and so in this situation and um, what the west has done is standardized procedures and standardized knowledge and so when you go in there and you have these these set of symptoms it's by far not perfect you know like if you go in and you're talking maybe about something very mental like you're depressed or something like this they'll list off these symptoms and they'll fill you full of some stupid pharmaceutical drug that is completely missing the point of the problem but in this case they take a fucking x-ray which is just pure magic they see through your skin and to see the bone and then they look at it and they analyze the x-ray and then they 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 have all the names they have the ulna the radius they have the name of the complex fracture of the elbow joint and all this type of stuff and they've associated this with standardized procedures it goes into the the the, the memory of the of the culture the collective unconscious of the culture and out pops the procedure and they say to him it's like listen all right you've broke the, the ulna we could probably send you home if this is the case but in this case you've also dislocated the the ligament so we're gonna have to put you through surgery and then they they sit down and they say this is exactly what's gonna happen this is the standardized procedure they've got all this stuff built into it and it's like some type of magical recollection from the collective unconscious and if i had this accident in eastern europe england america any hospital in the world that is influenced by western medicine these procedures would just pop out of it it's fucking crazy it's like being inside this giant nervous system it's like being inside this giant religion this is literally what it is I and mean, so when you look into the past and I look at religions, I start to understand them from this type of context, that they were similarly stacking up of procedural knowledge that these cultures found useful. And maybe, you know, the problem that we have right now in the West is that it's like a focus thing. We focus so much on on, uh, on these type of procedures that we've become incredibly efficient at dealing with uh, trauma, uh, broken bones, like really serious stuff in terms of health. But maybe the, the, the Hindus sat down with the, the, the principles of yoga and they understood from first principles the process of calming the mind down, of, of, of establishing equilibrium within the, within the brain, managing the emotions, managing all these type of things. And this is where you get, for example, the paths of yoga or whatever the, the Hinduism is supposed to articulate for people. It's, it's generally directed towards these type of spiritual goals and whatnot. And so um, I find that a very interesting frame to look at this stuff. Like what's the purpose of these giant bodies of knowledge is maybe the way I'd say it. And then to understand, to sort of answer your point, answer your, uh, your question, to understand the, the um, possible future that we may have in the West or the possible future mankind may have having experienced what the West presented to the world. Because the, what the West presented to the world was so advanced, so effective, so out of, beyond belief, powerful, that... Um, that we, we just can't, we can't ignore it anymore. Like the cat's been pulled out of the bag. Like once you can heal, once you can do surgery on someone's fucking brain, it's just, it's over for, it's over for normies, man. It's over for, uh, for the idea of going back to those old religions. Like they just don't have it. it that's, that's, an, it's like saying, it's like the traditionalism problem. Like, yes, there's, profound benefits to traditional life it's wholesome it's grounded it's healthier and cleaner but it's it's ultimately an escape from from modernity because there's not everything about this stuff is bad not everything about that we've progressed towards is negative it gives us incredible power believe me man i'm as much of a trad motherfucker as the next guy when i broke my elbow i didn't go running to the fucking village man i went <laughs> to the hospital for a reason you know i don't want some dude who comes in and he's like saying i'm an online trad catholic or i'm an online nietzschean or something like this or an online bronze aid pervert achilles worshiper to operate on my arm i want a fucking surgeon who's done it before and has studied standardized practice progressive modern promethean scientific medicine that's what i want because that's that stuff is real and that stuff works and so 
the sort of step beyond this would be a question of in a Jungian word, like maybe an integration question. Our great weaknesses, I think, I saw in the hospital were we, we've got like super precise trauma and technology unlock. We know so much about drugs, pharmaceuticals, chemistry. We know so much about surgery, the body, this type of stuff. The diet stuff is just a joke. Like I was given a croissant as my first, as my breakfast oh, after surgery. And, and the like, Jello, Jello is another uh, famous one of the hospitals. You're shaking your head. You're like, what are you doing, lads? I think I get my friend to sneak in a gallon of milk or a liter of milk. Like this is the, it's just ridiculous. It's just like, what are you doing? Another side of it, of course, is maybe the more mental stuff. And and I look at um, I look at the Western practice of alchemy. This is what Jung um, suggested that you look at to understand perhaps where this might be intending to go because the the what alchemy turned into was the profound uh journey of, of chemistry which is very much the, the foundation towards so many profound things like neurochemistry and the the way the body works drugs all these type of things pharma comes from alchemy as well and the point of alchemy of course was that idea of getting the the eternal life through the philosopher's stone and so there is this strange push instinctively within the west to overcome whatever paradigm we're on, to reach something that integrates all of this stuff and, and pulls it all into an order that achieves a real goal. Because the goal is not just saving people's broken arms. The, the, the project that started Western science was not um, simply helping people deal with sickness. It was not to give people painkillers. None of that stuff was the goal. That's maybe cope that utilitarians say now. But if you look at these, these guys who started this stuff off and really set the foundations for what's going on now, the alchemists, the likes of Descartes, all these motherfuckers, like these guys are striving for the big ideas. These guys are striving for immortality, eternal life, uh, eternal youth, regenerative power, these type of things. This is what mm -hmm. they were seeking towards. They were reaching to become, achieve God's capacity in the, in the real world. And, and this is why I would suggest something like the biohacking and all that stuff maybe actually is the progression forward from this. I think if you psychoanalyze mono, mo modern culture, you start to see these patterns show up in a variety of different ways. The Kurzweil and all them talking about transhuman, transhuman's going to create this artificial intelligence this philosopher's stone that's going to be god they're going to build god you know this is a sort of alchemical will mm -hmm. inside of of western man to or a achieve. makina as you described it yeah, well, god, god knows what she wants she's the trick she's the trick underneath it you know and, and this is the, this is the kind of point is that there's there's something very deeply unconscious in us that's aiming for these big goals and once you look at what they are at their end point they're, they're nothing they're they're quote unquote spiritual. They're they're what we would call these things, but they're not spiritual in that we default back to four thousand years ago ancient European paganism, early proto Christianity or or, or or Hinduism or whatever it is. It's it's more like once we've digested what modern science is and and embraced it and gone beyond that, gone to the next level, gone like integrated that into a higher paradigm that makes sense. So what happens when we develop the technological capacity to create a machine that thinks? Like that's, 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 that's giving birth to life. That's a spiritual achievement. That's fucking crazy. What happens when we get the power to end death? What happens when we get the power to end age, reverse aging, all these type of things? These are, that's turning us into gods, you know? And, and I think that's the, the true will that's inside of people. And, um, and if you start looking in that direction, things become very, very interesting. But what is, uh, and I'm curious about what Grimhood thinks of this as well, but what is exactly turning us into gods? Are we turning ourselves into gods? Are we becoming the gods? Or are we just applying these externalities around us that make it appear as if we are godlike, even though a lot of this is not really coming from within? And that, again, goes back to that question of 
how much is the supplementation of external things. For example, I think psychedelics is a good example of this, where even though I am for psychedelics in terms of, you know, helping people heal certain trauma, things of that nature, I also am very careful when talking about psychedelics where I don't want people to get the wrong idea and think that psychedelics is going to lead to some uh, enlightenment. My approach to a lot of these things is I think that either there's no meaning to life or everything matters in life. And if everything matters in life, then every single decision you make, even if there's boredom, even if there's a lot of these external uh, things that try to get in your way, if you overcome those and then end up getting to that state, I think that that is much more worth it than taking a pill or smoking something or ingesting something that gives you those same realizations. Because if there's no, if nothing means anything, then I take it back. But if everything means something, then it is all about how you do it as opposed to what you end up, uh, you know, what the result ends up being. I don't know. Am I, am I wrong about this? Uh, Grimhood, what do you think? Because we haven't really talked about psychedelics before. So from my perspective, uh, it, it really ties back into everything that we've talked about. So take psychedelics, for example. Um, I don't believe that uh, the internal visions that people see are just merely hallucinations. I believe that it's peeling back the layers uh, that modern society has constructed that uh, really hold back the inner power within each individual. Uh, there, there's a common occurrence between many religions and spiritual uh, concepts that is uh, we, are, we are made in God's image. So returning to that inner power is... Uh, regardless of whether it's internal or external tools, I think it, it, it ultimately brings us back to that same goal uh, is ultimately what makes us gods. There's uh, there, there's more modern tools like all these peptides, the supplements, so on and so forth. And then there's more ancestral ways of doing this. So like the spiritual practices, the pranayama or breath work, the tantra, uh, exercise can make us closer i, I i've heard uh, some people describe ex like intense exercise making them closer to god um the uh herbal medicines in general including the psychedelics the more natural psychedelics um yeah it, it, it's it's ultimately the the same end point goal uh of returning to that inner power or the I'm not sure how to word it. The, the baseline under, um, yeah, we'll, we'll go with internal power mm -hmm. there. That, I think that would be the most simple way to explain that. But then the other question is, why aren't we there in the beginning? Why aren't we already with God, a part of God, understanding the entire universe? Which makes oh. me think that there is a reason okay. as far as why we have to go through this process. And if it's a matter of pressing a button or taking a pill and you're there, it almost seems like you didn't really do the work and that may affect when you're actually there what the experience is going to be. It, it almost like you go to a pilgrimage 
and the people who live around the area that's famous for some pilgrimage, they don't really see anything that special in that, you know, wherever Mary used to be or, you know, the, like those that cave of Mary in France. I, I don't know exactly what that is. But the people who take the time to go through the journey, you know, like the legend has it, you know, the Hebrews had to spend all those years in the desert before they got to uh, uh, Jerusalem. So there may be something about that that makes a hell of a difference as far as uh, when you actually end up there. But I don't know, Uber Boyo, what do you think? Well, I have lots of thoughts on this. I'll try to pull them all into something coherent. But uh, um, again, you, you just don't want to construct false dichotomies because these things aren't antagonists per se. You can certainly take antagonistic attitudes. Like I know people who take steroids and the way they approach this stuff and they take everything you know that there's a be a dude dude or no and he's like jamming in these massive needles with full of human growth hormone and testosterone and he's like getting massive but like i know another guy who, who does testosterone replacement therapy and the difference in approach is actually quite fascinating uh, i'll kind of bring it back to the the will question in a second uh, but this guy would do like knack he'd do all these things to try temper his organs he'd protect themselves from you know imbalances and all this he's very careful with it and he as a result is very very healthy and he actually he gets quite big but he's not he doesn't look excessively big he just looks in great shape and all this type of stuff um and it doesn't seem like it's a huge detriment on his life or the other dude is like he just kind of slaps everything in with this half dash way it's uncontrolled and then he gets massive and then he loses it all f five months later and then he has to do it again and it's like, man, you're, you're definitely going to destroy your organs and all these type of problems like you're coming up. And, and this is an example of a, a mental problem inside someone where they're approaching this stuff um, as it's a tool in the world that they're approaching with with a child's attitude and they're going it's going to lead to them destroying themselves, you know. And so in some sense, what you're talking about is that like the mind actually is functionally involved with making this stuff make sense and making this stuff useful. Like if you've got a well-developed mind if you approach this stuff with a clear mind, if you've worked on your own mind and you don't have all these insecurities where you just want to get jacked and you don't have the patience to actually work, like work through strength training, what will happen is that you will destroy yourself with these things. It's like giving a kid a gun or a chimp a gun. Like it's like a gun could help you rule the world if you're the first one to get one. But if you don't educate yourself on how to, if you don't temper yourself on how to use it, it could be a terrible thing to happen. And so um, overall, like these things should be, I think, seen as opposite forces that need to be economized by maybe you could say the central regulating figure which is the mind um so be one thought is that like I, I don't see i don't see a huge dichotomy there even though you see examples out in the wild of people doing that stuff i don't think it's something that is uh, uh like necessarily a dichotomy at all second thing i would say is the maybe even the concept of 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 are we talking about the spirit or we're talking about spiritual concepts like i'm not too even too clear on what you're talking about here precisely but i am talking about uh, the idea of i guess apotheosis would be the right word here the idea of getting to the state that you are one with the universe but if you okay, just so... take something for that if you take like a pill for that and then you achieve the state of enlightenment there's some something's wrong here i don't know something's not right well you're, you're just coming in that with like pre-established first principles you're like the way that apotheosis works is by what i understand from my growing up and it's something akin to i don't know some type of nirvana buddhist experience where your soul floats out of your body and experiences this like cosmic orgasm orga orgasm or something like this and it's like 
we don't we don't know the way the fucking world works man we don't know the ins and outs maybe you do need to take dmt in order to see the fucking god you don't know like maybe that's what happens in your brain like you've been put into this thing it's like the dmt is part of the universe so it's part of the apotheosis whatever it is yeah. i'm i'm not saying that's that means that we should all go get fucking blasted on that shit but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's 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 something we should be antagonistic towards in fact like you know you, there's even ways you can look at the way you're modeling the universe who says that if we're going to come at it and say that we escape this reality and go into a more true reality where that's where God lives and then we have some type of connection with it. What if this is the true reality in the very Nietzschean sense? What if this is the true reality and the way for you to experience um, the, the, the energy and the strength and the spiritual power of what it means to be shining with life is for you to accumulate as much energy within your body this is like the willpower question and for that reason you should economize as many of these tools as you possibly can in a temperate and wise way in order to maximize the the nexus of power that you are as an individual and to shine like the ubermensch and this is a sort of you know this is a, an approach saying that like you know we we sort of are pieces of God, if you want to think about it this way, and experience them through ourselves, through our stresses, through our trials, through our tribulations. And um, technology and all these type of things are, are, are additions on that quest is maybe the way I'd frame that. Well, that would be the opposite view from, let's say, uh, the uh, early Greek philosophers. So, uh, uh, for example, Socrates, he did not like the advent, if I'm not mistaken, of writing, because now it took away from the ability of humans to recall things in their mind. And there is a comment over here from Zach Olson with the Cobra, who says, uh, you're talking about unearned wisdom, Lev. So that is the question of how do we define what is earned or what is unearned? And, and that's why I am just, I guess you could say I'm playing it safe, where I imagine that there may be something to us earning the experience through having to overcome a lot of the boredom of life and a lot of these things that get in our way in order well, earning, to... Earning yeah. what experience? Excuse me. like earning, uh, Well, sir, earning the experience of achieving the state of enlightenment or whatever that state is. I'm not saying that is the be-all, end-all state either. There could be like thousands and millions of states after that. But just the idea of getting to some state that is higher relatively to where you were before, where you well, can all right. have a certain... I, yeah. I'll try like try bring it down to earth. Like If someone okay. comes to me and says you know you've you've dislocated your elbow and broken it in three places it's like i can look at it like all right well should i go through this spiritually and just suffer it's like ow it's so sore but this is improving my mind it's like you've got to kind of question there it's like steph you know just take just take maybe take one or two painkillers <laughs> And just put it in a cast. You know, it's like yeah. there comes a point where this is redundant. Well, some, somebody would say Jesus Christ didn't take any painkillers when he was on the cross. So there. And this, and this, <laughs> there's a good question because I, I always think the, the goal is what you should be really focusing on. So uh, allegedly Christ's goal was that he was trying to conquer sin. So he was going for a very specific thing. But say, for example, I was a boxer and I had this injury done to my elbow. My goal is that I want to compete at the highest levels. And so if someone came to me and said, all right, use BPC, use copper peptides, use uh, maybe a small dose of steroids in order to get yourself back into action as soon as possible to bounce back from this injury. There's no need. There's no nobility in just suffering aimlessly like you're out here to compete. Believe me, man, getting punched in the face is suffering enough. It's hard to win things. So in order for you to succeed in a competitive world against in order for you to fight against life, to become the crowning being within the world of life, 
that's going to be suffering enough. That's going to be spiritual enough. How would you just use some of these augmentations in order to get to that point and see what happens? And with that attitude, maybe maybe that contextualizes things quite neatly for us, where we don't need to obsess about like maybe fear monger about what they are. And I'm not saying you're doing that, but it's it's something it's it's a grounded way we could look at this stuff. And then bring yourself back to enlightenment and be like, well, what the hell? What type of goal is that? Like I can imagine succeeding in boxing being like beating some guy in a ring in an organized fight, but what does enlightenment look like? Like, how do we get clarity in what that is? And if, if we do, can we reverse engineer it to say, how much does a psychedelic, is it involved in that type of process? And that's a really hard question. A lot of people struggle with that. Mm. Well, I have one final thing to say about that, and then I want to move on to the health question. Speaking of which, if you guys have any of the health-related questions, sneed those super chats right now. And Grimhood, who is the master of all things health, and Uberboyo, who is the master of the Nietzschean spirit. No matter how many bones you break in this man's body, he is not going to go out without a fight. So, grow yes, another bone. Exactly. So my uh, final thing about that is. I like this idea that the um, Hindu gurus talk about where people take several lifetimes, you know, hundreds of lifetimes, thousands of lifetimes until they achieve enlightenment. And I don't think it's a matter of it being a race. Maybe people are just on different, you know, different wavelengths. People are focusing on different things. So for the boxer, there would be a particular challenge for which a lot of these medications would be extremely important and would not get into the get in the way of him achieving that particular goal. For somebody else who has maybe a different situation in their lives, where okay, now that I'm this certain age, maybe I will go into the cave and meditate and uh, achieve some uh, other state. And it doesn't mean that that experience is, you know, better or worse than the experience of the boxer, but they just have different uh, different goals depending on what they've achieved in their lifetimes uh, before that. So I don't know. That could be another way of looking at this whole stuff. Uh, we have also a comment over here from JNs. Unearned wisdom means to be consciously, intimately aware of all the ways in which you are insufficient, which causes great internal dissonance and suffering. I mean, that is, yeah, that, that is quite a thing to think about, isn't it? But uh, as far as the uh, health-related questions goes, other than magnesium and Grimhood from the very start, I was talking about magnesium, what else would you say are some of the key supplements that you would recommend for, like, if we're not talking about somebody having some debilitating condition, but just in general, living a better, more fruitful life? what would you say are some of the things that we can't really get from our uh, food sources that we do need to uh, supplement today? Uh, it's very contextual. Um, it really comes down to the individual, their diet, their lifestyle, uh, their nutrient stores passed on from their parents. It, it can be, uh, it really comes down to context there. So I, I usually don't recommend, uh, like broad spectrum supplement recommendations. I usually have people focus more on a uh, full spectrum, whole food, uh, nutrient dense diet, regular light exposure, uh, and uh, normalized circadian rhythm just to set that baseline. And then if anything else needs to be optimized to get a micronutrient panel or extensive blood work to determine exactly what else is uh out of balance or out of homeostasis. So that way you can reset that and then uh, address whatever issue is uh, 
arisen within the individual. It's very individualized. So magnesium is one of the more broad spectrum recommendations just because, uh, like I had mentioned, it's, it's necessary in literally every single process of the body because of the magnesium ATP formation. Some other nutrients that are commonly deficient are things like zinc, vitamin D, uh, a lot of the B vitamins, potassium. Some people are deficient in calcium, for example. Others are uh, deficient in phosphorus. There should be like a one-to-one balance between those two. Uh, it, 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 it's, really, it's really contextual in terms of uh, recommendations. But uh, some of the more common ones that I talk about on my Twitter page are the magnesium in multiple forms in routes of administration, L-theanine, which is a calming amino acid, uh, inositol, which is a, a sugar alcohol that uh, it really balances the mental state. Uh, like I, I found it's very effective for depression, anxiety, OCD, suicidal ideation. Uh, the application is very useful. It's very beneficial for metabolic health, which is a common issue for many people, hormonal health. Um, yeah, th- th- those are the three primary ones that I, I'm typically topic- talking about. And then it's more niche uh, in terms of like various questions that I get. So it, if you were to ask a specific question, depending on a uh, like a condition mm, I, or a symptom or something, that, that would I, be. I have a sp- specific question. Um, this might be a bit wacky and out, out there, but do you in your experience or even believe uh, generally that there's some type of correlation between cravings and nutrient deficiencies, deficiencies of some sort, because very typically, you know, if you're, if you're, you don't have enough salt, which is sodium, a mineral, and um, you'll kind of crave salty foods, I'd imagine. Um, now I'm not sure if that's necessarily true and it might be more fatty foods or something like this, but is there a situation where, you know, I'm eating a diet and I will want magnesium. My body will need more magnesium and more zinc. Will I, crave specific smells will i have a specific taste do you know, do you know what i'm saying like will, yes. I, will i want pasta and all these type of things or or or, or whatever that way that works some people say for example if you need more vitamins you'll tend to go towards fruit or specifically sweet things because that associates in your head with fruit do you have any thoughts on that yeah absolutely uh, i just shared a couple studies actually on this subject so when the uh brain and the tongue are not hijacked by these uh hyper palatable, refined processed foods. Uh, we intuitively seek what we're deficient in or the, uh, it's specifically the microbiome that gets hijacked. And then the microbiome uh, along the gut brain axis will communicate with the brain to seek whatever foods that you're uh, essentially addicted to. So when uh, in a state of, uh, baseline health, you will crave uh, both the smell and the taste of whatever nutrient uh, you are deficient in or you're low in. So, I'm- for example, like some people will. Uh, oh, here's a good example. So, women will uh, crave chocolate during the um, their menstrual cycle. And then that's high in magnesium. Their body is rapidly depleting magnesium mm. in that uh, that uh, stressful process of shedding the uterine lining. So uh, 
their body seeks that magnesium to bring down that inflammatory pain. A lot of women are deficient in magnesium, for example. Like I've written threads about how to manage the, the menstrual cycle and make the PMS symptoms more manageable for women. And the magnesium is a major factor there where it can completely eliminate any PMS symptoms. And it, there can be some other factors like zinc, copper, iron, but the magnesium is always very major in that, uh, in that issue. So yeah, it, there's definitely a uh, scientific and just intuitive basis behind that. And so like, is there, like I'd love to get to that point of intuitive uh, combination of all this stuff where I'll wake up and I might feel like the urge for Italian pasta and I'm kind of aware it's like all right well what's in that that's like tomatoes and basil so it's probably like vitamin c I need to get loads into and then because I've had that experience before where I've been craving something you know when you're craving something that's on your mind all day and you're walking around and uh like sweets are a very good example like I'd be craving maybe some type of sweet food and this could be gut biome, so I'm not too sure where, where we kind of mark it off. But I'd go and I'd uh, eat a load of fruit. I'd eat like three apples or something like that. So it's not necessarily water. Oh, that's what I was trying to say. I'd maybe be dehydrated and want something sweet. I yeah. eat uh, a load of fruit and, and it kind of goes away. And I'm kind of wondering... I wonder, is that a situation where I was, uh, I was, I was needing a vitamin of sorts. And there's been other times where I've been craving sweet things and I've just drank a lot of water and the craving goes away. And it was obviously that I was dehydrated and that might've been fucking up a body process. And so these type of things, and I, like this, this would be a very, very interesting thing. If, if you could develop that capacity to, to, to know you, you make the associations, but I imagine it's incredibly complex and, and not, not straightforward at all. Uh, the, the way that I developed that intuition was I was, I experienced marasmus level malnutrition. So I was deficient in everything across the board. I was like 86 pounds at six feet. What? Very, very malnourished. Um, 86, my man. Holy Lord. <laughs> Wait, how, how tall are you? I'm six foot. So I, I, I was down very bad. Wow. Um, so I, I individually supplemented uh, each micronutrient in uh, various dosages. And then that, like, I, I would know, I would, I would, uh, I was journaling a lot throughout this entire process. So I, I would take note of what symptoms would resolve or what other symptoms would crop up. And then that's how I've created my mental framework with all of these complex uh, interactions between the micronutrients, the biological processes and so on and so forth. And then I would confirm that in studies and uh, various deficiency symptoms. So it's, uh, it, it, it is possible to develop, but uh, it, it, it's, it's not really <laughs> worth going through all that for the average person. Uh, yeah. that, that's, that's why I share a lot of the, uh, what I've learned throughout my own experience and then uh, back it up with research when people are like questionable. That's hardcore, man. And um. <laughs> How how long ago was that? That was uh, 2017 is when I experienced the traumatic brain injury. So 2018 is when I began like repairing my body. So okay. it, it wasn't too long ago. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Fair play. And what what do you weigh now at the moment? About 140, 150. 140. Not too bad. It's not bad. I'm about a 150 something as well, and Maybe I'm six foot. I'm not sure. Sometimes I think I'm six foot. Sometimes I think I'm 5'11". I guess it depends <laughs> on the posture. But uh, I have a question uh, speaking of diet. 
what do you recommend as far as fasting goes? As far as is there a certain point of uh, no uh, no further progress, or does it make sense to go on like these crazy like forty eight hour fasts or something like that? So uh, again, it, it, everything related to uh, health and nutrition is going to be contextual. Uh, if you're extremely underweight or malnourished, you're going to want to focus on regular meal intake, uh, sufficient macro and micronutrients. So it, it, like it, if you're malnourished or underweight, you're going to be putting your, your body into a catabolic stress state. So it's going to be a detriment to your overall health. Now, if you have weight to lose, or if it's just like a, uh, really like Ramadan, for example, uh, people will have the breakfast meal and then, uh, around sunset, they'll have another, another smaller meal. So that, that's, that's a way of, uh, implementing the fasting, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it really depends on uh, the state of health. I, I believe there's spiritual application to regular fasting. But uh, again, if you're in a, a state of uh, malnutrition or just un- underweight, it, it can be a detriment to your health. Like if, if you have weight to lose, it can be an extremely useful tool. But for, again, extended periods can induce a more stressful catabolic state where it can be counterproductive. Hmm. My friend Michael Scotto was describing when he started fasting, there was a period where he experienced this uh, discomfort, this wanting to eat, but then afterwards that went away, and he was in the state where his mind was very active, and from what I understand, that was the ketosis state that he was in. So yeah. curious, like any thoughts on ketosis, the keto diets, all, all that stuff? So it was a major tool in resolving the schizophrenia, the epilepsy, and the traumatic brain injury. So it, it puts the body into a very regenerative state. It induces a state of neurogenesis to uh, repair the brain and the central nervous system. The the body in general, like uh, there's some spiritual text regarding uh, illness, disease, where fasting was prescribed. Uh, it, it, that that date, dates back to a uh, Hippocrates fasting. Um, and then the, the fasting, whether it's via fasting or the ketogenic diet will induce a similar state of ketosis. So I, I do believe there's a lot of application to ketosis, but the one example that I would, uh, it, it's very difficult to put on muscle <laughs> with without the carbohydrates or like perform yeah. physically. So it's more of like a, a regenerative tool rather than like a, a, a lifestyle thing. Like a, a lot of people continue the, uh, the ketogenic diet for years and years on end. I don't think that's beneficial. I think that it should be used more so as a tool or uh, with seasonal eating. So in most latitudes, uh, away the further away from the equator, the less fruits and vegetables you would be consuming during the winter. And that's typically when people would eat a more ketogenic based diet because they didn't have the same carbohydrates available during that time. Um, but with, with the, the advent of the modern grocery stores, that that's kind of a, it no longer exists for the average person. So people are eating carbohydrates year round and then they, they mistake that for 
all carbohydrates being harmful to health. And I don't think that's correct at all. It just, you're eating them out of season. So yeah, what is so the right the, season the, to eat uh, the carbs then? That would be the summertime or the spring or the fall? You, you want to eat them yoked to the UV light cycle. So the photosynthesis cycle. So uh, it, if you're living near the equator, it's going to be pretty much year round where UV light will be present. And then uh, say Canada, for example, uh, you, you want to shift towards more of a, a fat-based diet towards winter. And then spring, summer, you begin eating more carbohydrates. That, that's how, that's one of the ancestral factors that a lot of paleo, keto, carnivore people don't account for is seasonality when it comes to diet. Like we were hunters and gatherers. Like we, there was never a period where we ate one or the other, only fruits and vegetables or only meat. Hmm. And, well, Again, that comes with context. Like if that's all you could find was just meat, then you would eat that. We were scavengers, essentially. Um, but we, we would just eat whatever we were able to come by. It wasn't just one or the other. In, in Ireland, it's very, very famous where uh, there's fuck all fruits, like at all, um, yeah. natural to the place. So what you would basically have is berries in summer, apples in winter, because apples blossom in the or they, they're ripe in the wintertime. And yeah. so during the winter, you know, your granny, you go down to your granny and all these big cooking apples and all this type of stuff it tends to be an awful lot more bitter food. Whereas during the summer, then you get the, the berries, the blackberries, the hedge berries, strawberries, blueberries, all of these. And they're absolutely class. Like you can just run around the fields and just pick them out of there. And of course, you're competing with the animals as well. But mm. um, yeah, it's very seasonal. Like if you eat properly, you do it that way. And yeah. uh, it's, it's phenomenal. Like it's really, really nice way to eat. How much uh, do you think it makes sense? And again, I, I know you're probably going to say, well, it depends on the person. But in general, how much would you say it makes sense to now that the summer's coming up, there's the farmer's market, it has all the berries in it and all the fruits. How much is it uh, all right, would you say, to just like bury it up, just like eat a lot of berries because they taste really yummy? Or at a certain point, like, is that like too much sugar and that's going to also wreck your system? You know, like, do, does it make sense to keep track of all this stuff or just like, you know, if you feel like it, just have some berries and. So that, that comes down to the metabolic health. So like if you're insulin or leptin resistant, it, it can pay to uh, limit the carbohydrate intake. But if you're physically active, metabolically healthy, uh, I've just been like pouring down the berries recently uh, with the berry season coming around here where I'm at. Um yeah, it, it, as long as you're eating them like yoked to the, the natural light cycle, I, I don't really see it as much of an issue, especially if you're physically active and putting those carbohydrates to use rather than just... Well, what about the question of fat, though? Because if, let's say, there are people who have like a bit of a belly on them and summertime's coming up, from what I understand, it is way harder to lose a lot of this uh, built-up fat over time from working out than it is from just uh, limiting how many calories you take in. Would you say yeah. that that is that that is pretty much correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a lot of uh, I'm working on an article for my Patreon uh, recently, but uh, a, a lot of the carbohydrates and the refined fats it typically comes down to excessive caloric intake, and then there's more minuscule. It it comes back down to the uh, high calorie malnutrition. So you don't have the micronutrients to be able to process those uh, macronutrients properly. 
and then the uh, high caloric intake, it just uh, accumulates as fat. But with uh, things like berries, for example, would you say that those are also something where too many of them would have that same effect of eating like too many potato chips, like whatever calories that they would, uh, well, sorry, whatever nutrients they would give you, you already get like the maximum amount you need from, let's say, the first uh, several packs of these berries. And then at that point, it's just like you're just you're just overindulging, you're just being greedy and you'll suffer for it. I actually have experimented with this before, Lev, and it's weird, right. but your body your body very easily self-regulates um, natural foods. So yeah. if you sit down with a thing of strawberries, like in order for you to overdose on strawberries, <laughs> you probably have to eat like a fucking bathtub full of them, first of all. And um, because to overdose on potato chips, that's a highly concentrated fat fried food. Like that's, you're going to, you're very easily going to, and it's, it's generally like cooked in seed oils as well. So it's probably not that great for you. Um, your body uh, kind of fevers on them because it's such an easy calorie, but with berries, you'll eat them and you'll kind of get sick of them. You'll develop this thing where you're like, man, I'm like, you know, because they're not that sweet. Like strawberries have very little sugar in them. You, you think they have sugar in them. They don't have that much at all. I think there's probably more sugar in fucking things like maybe a bowl of oatmeal or something like that than strawberries. But uh, your body, you kind of develop this gag reflex eventually. You just say, I'm fucking done with this. You know, so it's the same with meats. It's the same with um, very clean meats. You can eat is a load of burgers, but eventually the body will just be like, bro, I am stuffed. You know, <laughs> No, that is a that that is a good advice there. I guess I'm thinking as far as the people who would want to shed for the summertime, would the best approach be then to very strictly regulate in the beginning, and then once you're already at the kind of weight uh, fat percentage you want to be in, then you bring in the working out, and then you can you know not really be as careful as far as the indulging in the berries and the fruits and. Uh, as far as bread, that may be a slightly different thing, because from what I understand, certain breads, especially white bread, there's a there's a good chance to develop some kind of a uh, fungal, funky fungal thing going on in the guts, gutty works. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to talk a bit about the bread situation as well, as well as kind of answering that uh, proposal that I just had, where first before the summertime you would spend time just like cutting out a lot of uh, these extra calories until you're satisfied with uh, your overall look. Then you just keep working out, and uh, then you can just whatever, 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 so long as it's natural. So that would be the first question. The second one would be about the bread. Okay, so optimally uh, with the clients that I work with, I try to have them approach exercise and diet simultaneously along with light so that way uh their results will be as fast as possible but say if someone is just focusing on diet limiting the caloric intake it, it's less so in, unless you have like type 2 diabetes it's less so an issue of um your macro profile it's more so the excessive caloric intake without the micronutrients to process the caloric or, or macronutrient intake properly. Um, yeah. So with the bread, uh, it ultimately depends on how it's processed, the the specific grains used. Um, I, I don't really see it as a, it, it's more as a, of a treat or a dessert in my, in my eyes. Um, it's like even with the, the sourdough, there's very little nutritional profile that it contributes to the overall diet. Mm. And then, like you had mentioned, uh, it does a, a lot of the more simple carbohydrates can feed the uh, yeast bacteria within the gut, the gut microbiome, such as candida albicans, 
Um, and that, that's with daily intake, very little sunlight exposure. Like there, there's multiple factors that go into that as well. Mm, interesting. But uh, um, yes, yes. I, I've, could you speak again for a second? I think the, you're breaking up on me a little bit. Is my internet connection all right? Uh, it seems to be all right oh, for me. I don't know, Grim. I think uh, you're seeing Uber Boy are pretty well as well. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to have to bounce. Is what I'm saying. Ooh. So I'm going to, I'm going to hop out. But Ooh. I would love to ask Grim just before I go a couple of mm -hmm. questions about the, the brain injury because I've d dived into neuroscience a little bit. And um, could you tell me a little bit about what went down and like how, like how did it end up you losing so much weight? Because I know that can, it can lead to things like, um, like all sorts of problems. But it kind of depends on where, where it hits. So like, what happened? Like, where did you strike the brain? What part of the brain got damaged? Do you have any symptoms now still of like, like is there tau going on in your brain? Like what, have you got a, um, like symptoms of a, like, like chronic problems with it still? Uh, what's, what's the situation? So um, before 2017, I was doing a, like a raw vegan diet for about three years. And then I was addicted to several stimulant, opioid, cannabis, essentially any drug that I could get my hands on, uh, very severely. And that, I, I, I wouldn't really say that I had an eating disorder, but I, I definitely struggled with eating, uh, sufficient, uh, calories. Like I, I was focusing on, I, I was avoiding like the soy meat byproducts or whatever the hell that is, uh, the I seed oils it. and whatnot, but I, I just wasn't consuming enough to support my brain my or my nervous system uh yeah it it, it was a, a very strange strange situation but uh that eventually uh, like I, I was already very malnourished throughout my entire life so it just snowballed after that fact and then um i uh i i, I did, hadn't realized that i was beginning to have micro seizures so like i i would freeze up briefly and then I would have no memory of it. Like I would just stop what I was doing with a blank face. And then that, that was a, an absent seizure, but I, I didn't realize what was going on. I neither did my ex-girlfriend at the time. Uh, she just thought I was being weird or something or uh, yeah, it, it, it was a tough situation, but that, that developed into uh my first grand mal seizure in December of 2017. And then I uh, was without oxygen. So uh, hypoxic traumatic brain injury for about six or seven minutes. My body was entirely purple. My ex-girlfriend <laughs> didn't think I would make it. Um, she had called the ambulance in time, but uh, I did suffer the, the brain injury. Um, and so it was a it was a starvation of oxygen. My my friend uh, actually died this way. He had epilepsy and he died in his sleep. He had a grand mal seizure and just yeah. didn't wake up. Um, and so it was the it was basically like ha have they have they done a kind of cat scan on the brain? Or is it an assumption or is there like evidence with it? Did you notice any uh, strong symptoms afterwards and all this type of stuff? Yeah. So I, I described this a little bit. Um, I stopped going to neurologist after they told me that there was nothing they could do for me except uh, provide medication to like just manage the, the seizures. The medications that they prescribed me were just, they didn't stop the seizures entirely. They would just uh, decrease the severity, but I was still seizing multiple times a day. 
Um, what, what was that like? Like, do you do you remember it? Um, was it scary? Was it painful? Or is it just weird? Like, is it just sort of like trippy or? It it was all all of the above. So like I I was describing earlier that uh, after the brain injury, I felt like a shell of a person where like I still had some semblance of consciousness, but my memory had been reverted to that of a child essentially. So like I was barely able to function. My ex girlfriend was taking care of me. Wow. Um, I wasn't really able to communicate all that well either. Like it was just mm-hmm. very baseline communication. Um, what about your thoughts though? Like, were you able to think thoughts that were above that of a five-year-old? Somewhat like I, I had very severe brain fog where I had to battle through that to actually be able to comprehend what I was reading in those chat or I would have my ex-girlfriend read to me. Like it was, it's a, it's a very, it's very difficult to describe. Um, like but yeah, the, uh, that I, I no longer experience any symptoms. Uh, I've completely resolved that. Amazing. A wow. dietary herbal and mitochondrial approach. Amazing. That's amazing. amazing. My, my friend who had epilepsy, like he had it all throughout when he was a teen. And I remember staying over in the house because he was, it was like popular enough. And uh, yeah, he, he had that problem where even with the seizures, he didn't remember them. And it was yeah. very, very strange because when he would have the seizures, man, the seizures were the most fucking craziest shit ever. Cause he was a big dude. He was like six foot four, I think huge man. And, uh, even at his young age, I think the reason why he might've got epilepsy is cause he had like a growth spurt at an inappropriate time. And so he was bigger than all the rest of us. And he would, um, start screaming and he would scream out like, it's, it hurts so bad. I'm in so much yeah. pain. It's excruciating. I, oh, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. And he'd fall off the bed and he start writhing on the floor and you couldn't go near him. And like, you know, you'd, you'd be like, Jesus, should I hold him down? And they'd be like, you literally cannot go near him because he could grab you and it'd be like Wolverine strength. He'd just pull your wow. face off or something like that. And yeah. so you, you have to just leave him do it. And then once he'd calm down, he'd start to spaz then. He'd start to just, and then he'd just like slump. And you'd have to run over there and stick your hand in his mouth, make sure he didn't swallow his tongue. And then after that, like, you just have to wait for him to wake up and he'd just climb back in bed. And he wouldn't even realize anything that happened. You couldn't even talk to him. He just climbed back into bed and he wouldn't be responsive or anything. He, he, you'd be like, what's up? And he, he, he's like sleepwalking or something. And then he'd wake up the next day and you'd have to explain to him what happened. And he'd have like, he'd be like hung over the next day. But, yeah. uh, but that's, that's about it. And, uh, and he wouldn't remember any of it at all. It was, it was fucking, it was crazy to see what would go on. But I remember, um, we heard about the ketosis diet, the ketogenic diet back then. We never got around to getting them to do it because this was like years ago, like over a decade ago. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like I remember seeing into that and then obviously he died and it was, it was kind of brutal. But then I started to see more and more about that stuff, about like the brain health relates to high fat diets and um, really focusing on like, you know, micronutrient efficiency uh, understanding how to get the most out of your your, your mind the drugs don't seem to work really that much at all is what yeah. i hear quite a lot and um yeah so i just found it very very fascinating to, to see you pull through man that's amazing like good job thank you man hey yeah it, it was uh <laughs> it, everything that you described about it was absolutely spot on like the, the pain was i've never experienced anything else like that it was just unimaginable during the seizure aura then I would just lose co- consciousness. And then like, I, it, that's how I describe it was just being hung over. Like I, I wasn't able to, yeah. Hmm. It, it, it's, it's, it's very tough to describe. Like if you, if you've seen it or experienced it firsthand, it's easier to understand, but it, yeah. yeah. When you see it, 
pretty well. Yeah, when you see it, like that's that's it. Like he he just looked tired. He just like worn out. You know, he's just, yeah. he's he's not there. You could even say he looked like he was on drugs. Like that that mm. type of thing. He's just like somewhere else, a bit hazy, not really present, and it's yeah. kind of brutal. Well, this uh, this may be related, by the way, Uberboyo, before you go, to uh, the story over here. I was helping out on this uh, short film uh, for a friend in uh, New York City. And uh, if you recall Julia Gardner, the girl with the uh, curly hair who was on that really popular show on HBO, uh, which just ended right now, the one where they went to uh, uh, do like the drug stuff in... Hold on, how embarrassing. I don't remember the name of the show, but I'll remember it later. Anyway, she had a, a, one of the co-stars of that short, Henry Watchell. He strangled his mom when he was in this um, uh, state of uh, uh, having the seizure. So I don't know if this is a common thing. Like you were talking about your friend being like really big and tall and were afraid of you know yeah, and coming it's, across it's him. Like, he, like it's, it's scary to be in the room with him when it happens because it's like a gorilla chimping out. Like, you're sort of like, you know, you're like, oh, the poor dude. And it's intense, man. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. You know, a big six foot five or six foot three man or whatever he is, roaring. And he's going, he's going ape shit. Like, he's, he's moving his limbs around. And you're like, oh, my God, man. If, you got, if he grabbed onto you, like, you don't know what could happen. And, yeah, if it, like there's a, a mm. woman or his, his, his mother there or something like that, he could, geez, he could do terrible things. Yeah. And the show, by the way, is called Ozark. I don't know if you guys saw Ozark. No? Okay. It's a no, pretty interesting show. Good. Yeah, so uh, that's where she started out. Uh, very uh, very uh, tragic situation. But anyway, Uberboyo, I know you got to go now, but before you go, any last uh, final comments for the people here, where they could find you, but also are you still doing the coaching? Oh, yes, of course. Yes, I'm always, always chugging away on that. Always chugging away on that. If you, anybody has a creative mind, if you're into psychology and you want to learn how to turn that skill into something that is tangible and useful, get in contact with me. I'm currently working with a, a couple of guys running YouTube channels at the moment. So we've got a little bit of YouTube channel cult going and uh, we're working on that buzz. But uh, yeah, just find me uberboyo.com or uberboyo YouTube channel. Yeah, that'll be a perfectly good place to find me. Um, but this, this is really good, Grim. That, that's a really powerful story. Very, very interested to... To, to hear more about it and i think that's a uh, it's fascinating because you've built up quite a vast clear knowledge on this by the sounds of it and I, I always like that when someone has to really fight for knowledge they tend to approach it with this unideological severity which usually leads to just precision and accuracy with it and, and you seem like you have it like you're, you're you're talking to talk absolutely and it seems like you've walked the walk so and um, great job man thank you man it was it was nice talking to you as well uh, excellent thank you thank you uh, lev thank you for having me on and I'll talk to you all later. Talk to you soon, Uberboyo. Thank you so much for coming in. But no all, problem. Wishing no you problem. All, all the best with the healing and uh, looking forward to seeing you soon, brother. Build me a, bio a bionic arm there if, we, if you have a chance and send it on <laughs> over. That'll be good. All right. I'll talk to you later, lads. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. So uh, I, I want to, uh, for the uh, short time that we have right now, and again, uh, Grim, thank you so much for being here. You are a very wise individual. You've been through a lot. And uh, it, I'm just really grateful that you're able to give out this knowledge. So for all the people who are here right now, if you have any final thing that you would want to ask Grim while I ask my final questions, please send in the super chat. It's definitely going to help the channel out. And uh, with that, I wanted to ask you, Grim, well, first I want to convert this back to a uh, two-person uh, thing over here. Just give me a second. And I'm going to ask everybody also who has not subscribed yet, please subscribe right now. You are not going to regret subscribing to break the rules. There's going to be a lot
lot more wonderful streams coming up. Lord Miles is going to be returning pretty soon, so that's going to be very awesome. So, uh, as well as a very interesting stream with uh, Chudge Logic and Astral Flight, that's going to be coming up on uh, this uh, Thursday. So, okay, so with that being said, a couple of uh, final questions that I have. Uh, one of these is when it comes to the kind of food that people end up indulging in, whether it be cheeseburgers, pizzas, whatever, do you believe in having cheat meals or do you think that eventually enough cheat meals is going to be bad? Is there some kind of happy medium where people can still enjoy some of this horrible junk or is it a matter you think of totally retraining your system not to even accept these things? So uh, if you're in a state of poor health, or like a disease state, uh, it, it does pay off to be disciplined with your diet. We're just sticking 100% to the uh, low in, inflammatory, uh, nutrient-dense whole foods. But uh, once you're in a healthier state, you, um, the 80-20 the rule will uh, allow for more compliance just to remain on a... a a regular uh, healthy diet throughout your entire lifespan. So what the 80-20 rule means is uh, like making food at home 80% of the time and then eating out or having those cheat meals about the the other 20% of the time. So that way you get best of both worlds while still maintaining that uh, nutritional intake and optimizing your health. And other th certain things that uh, people think are healthy that are not as far as, I don't know, let's say going out for sushi. I mean, it's got the rice, but as long as the fish is good, would you say that that is an all right uh, thing to have once in a while? Or where would you rank sushi? Yeah. Uh, sushi is probably one of the healthier takeout foods. Um, it, it, again, it depends on the, the metabolic health. Like most people can respond really well to, to white rice. It's not that big of a deal. Um, is, it, is it true that with brown rice that takes more time to digest and uh, it has certain things in it that are bad for uh, the human body? Like, I don't know, there's some talk about there are certain plants that have certain components that poison you, but maybe that poison is such a small thing, you know, like the brown covering like the husks of the uh, brown rice as well as certain i think kale has certain things that protect it in the environment from being eaten so it releases some kind of poison compounds i'm not really sure what but again these are like really really little so it probably doesn't have any negative effect on the human body or does it like for the people who say about those little poisons it, it depends on the state of health. So like a lot of carnivores will have, they'll be malnourished and they'll have destroyed guts from antibiotics, long-term vegan diet, uh, various medications can wreck the gut microbiome. That is one of the reasons why they can't process the, what they consider plant toxins. So a lot of the active constituents in vegetables, fruits, herbal medicines, they originally evolved to be the defensive mechanisms of those plants. And then since over time, we've consumed these plants, fruits, herbal medicines for thousands and thousands of years, um, like for a traditional Chinese herbal medicine, about 5,000 plus years. So we, we've had time to adapt to those defensive mechanisms to 
evolve a hormetic response where it actually provides health benefits. Now, in regards to the anti-nutrients, oxalate or oxalic acid can be a bit of an issue if you don't have the microbiome to metabolize it properly. Um, and then phytic acid, it, it again, that one depends more so on uh, your nutritional status. In, in general, it's one of the most potent uh, anti-cancer molecules in uh in any diet essentially so there's it's like a double-edged sword like if you're malnourished uh specifically the magnesium calcium zinc uh then it can be a little bit of an issue but like if you're experiencing excessive uh iron or copper intake or toxicity uh, it would be extremely beneficial to include those to your diet so that way you can chelate some of those excessive minerals uh, excessive unbound iron is one of the major factors to a lot of disease states that we know of today. Mm. And would that also include uh, working on the iron pots for uh, cooking? Would that also contribute? It, it can. Um, like the, the the cast iron will not have the uh, nutrient, the interacting nutrient cofactors to utilize the iron properly. And it's in an oxidized state when it's in, uh, it, it, it depends on what it's cooked with. Like if you cook acids in that cast iron, it can be uh, in the oxidized state. Otherwise, it's just in isolation. So it doesn't have the, the copper, the zinc, the magnesium, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D that are necessary to utilize that iron properly with, without it being stored in tissue. So that way it's going into uh, red blood cells, um, energy metabolism, and so on and so forth. Um, so if you have too much iron, can you just supplement with copper to balance those out? It, it, it's it's more optimal to get those micronutrients from food sources because they will already be in a format that is uh, that has that uh, similar balance across the board. Um, like for liver example, for example, it has the copper, the zinc, vitamin A. Depending on the form of liver, like cod liver has vitamin D, very low for like beef liver. Um, mm. A little bit of vitamin C, a little bit of magnesium, and then a little bit of iron. So it has like the full spectrum of those micronutrients that are necessary to utilize it properly. Now mm. supplementing it, you can create a further imbalance. So like copper and zinc are very... Um, they have like an antagonistic relationship if either one are uh, supplemented too excessively. So if you consume too much copper, you'll be running low on zinc, uh, molybdenum and boron as well. Um, and then if you consume too much zinc, you'll have, you'll be low on copper and so on and so forth. So, so it, the, the food provides a, just a baseline. Like mm. it, you, you don't have to really worry about, uh, supplementing to balance it out healthy fats meat fish vegetables berries fruits that's pretty it's it's seafood it's not rocket science you know it's, <laughs> boy, it's, exactly it, it like, does you, make you don't need of, to understand yeah. that but, but but potassium though that seems to be the one where you're kind of like yeah like supplement a bit of potassium as well on the side that seems to be the uh the main one that uh, 
It, it, it depends about... Oh, uh, sorry, magnesium, magnesium. I meant to say magnesium. Yeah, yeah uh, ma magnesium is uh, just because the, the, like what I was describing earlier, the modern stress of the toxicity of the environment today is, uh, it really puts a strain on magnesium stores within the body and the mitochondria. But uh, potassium is another one. Like, I think there was a study in, it was a little while ago, I think 2010, maybe 2007 at the earliest, but 98% of people in the United States, both men and women are deficient in potassium as well. Like the, the uh, RDA for potassium is about 4,700 milligrams. Most people barely hit 1,000 to 200, uh, 2,000 milligrams of potassium. So it, it's, a, it's across the board. And that's why I talk about nutritional surplus. So uh, frequently on Twitter. Excellent. And my uh, final question is about the Ray Pete diet. I'm sure you've heard of Ray Pete. He uh, seems to not be a big fan of avocados. He's not a big fan of the uh, fish oils, uh, krill oils, because he says that those, the, what is that? I think it's the monosaturated fat. He does not see that as uh, being uh, good for the human body. So curious, uh, any thoughts there? Have you taken a look at uh, Ray Pete's work? Yeah, th there's a, uh... There's some basis to his work, but a lot of the PUFA, well, I don't agree with the seafood or the shellfish. I do agree with the refined oils. Like, uh, it, it's not for the reason that, that he uh, describes. So a lot of the research papers that he uh, references to support his, his theories are based on uh, cell lines and then mat, uh <laughs> Rats and mice. So it, it, it's very uh, difficult to translate that to humans, whereas a lot of the unbiased in regards to funding uh, research on these PUFA, specifically in food format, are only show benefit in the human body, in human studies, not just cell line studies or animal studies, which uh, I, you can't really translate that to humans. It, it, it's uh, meaning not taking rare. not taking the pufas. Uh, yeah, so the the seat the the food formats are what you would want. Uh, yeah, so uh, the the refined oils without the micronutrients to prevent oxidation would be the main issue. Uh, so, uh, like cold pressed seed oils. Are uh, like black seed oil, for example, it mm -hmm. reverses many of the diseases that uh, are proposed to be caused by seed oils, but mm -hmm. that just puts a major hole in the entire theory. It has a moderate uh, amount of linoleic acid, which is one of the major isolated cofactor uh, constituents that all these seed oil accounts and advocates are talking about that causes all disease within the human body. But if that was the case, black seed oil wouldn't be so beneficial, even in human studies. So th th there's a there's a lot of nuance to the, the question, but uh, typically I do have people avoid like the refined fish, algae, krill oils in favor of seafood if they can afford to. Um, is, there, is there some uh, negative uh, with the uh, krill oil? the uh, refined like the farmed krill so it, it's it's the uh triglycerol 
position of the uh, the oils compared to the seafood. The seafood is in the uh, triglyceride phospholipid position, SN2. The uh, the oils are typically in SN3. So SN2 is the optimal form to be utilized by the brain specifically. And then that is necessary to actually take in the light from the full, the full spectrum light from the sunlight. So it, it ties together with uh, restoring or regenerating optimal mitochondrial function with the, the seafood and the shellfish, specifically in the SN2 position. Um and, and there's there's definitely basis to uh, avoiding the refined or the industrialized vegetable and seed oils, specifically the ones that are used in fast food. So these are going to be refried over and over at extreme temperatures. Oxidized. For, yeah, yeah. Uh, at extreme temperatures for sometimes weeks, sometimes even months. So that is the major source of oxidative uh, oxidative oils that is in most people's diet is the fast food. Now, it's not the linoleic acid is much of an issue. It's the aldehydes and the uh, advanced glycation end products. So these are established in in human studies as well that uh, they are very inflammatory. They contribute to the heart disease, diabetes, so on and so forth. Um. So the, the main factor why it's so inflammatory or people believe or experience inflammation from any seed oil consumption would be the displ- displacement of the omega-3 fatty acids, DHA, EPA from tissue, which are known to be anti-inflammatory rather than just it being specifically linoleic acid. Otherwise, again, the black seed oil wouldn't be doing what it did, what it does. And the black seed oil, I find is pretty good. Like uh, whenever I get sick, I just rub the oil all over myself before I go to sleep. And that seems to have some kind of an effect. I know. Or is that the placebo? Is the right way to drink it? Or it doesn't matter? Uh, either way works. Um, when, you, when you rub it topically, it does absorb into the skin. But it's more likely that you're inhaling the essential oils and the terpenes deep into the lungs. And then that mm. has the ability to... Um, kill off any bacteria or viruses within the, the nasal cavity or the mouth. Interesting. That's like why they have frankincense, for example, and historically they've had frankincense and myrrh in the churches. So maybe yeah. that had the uh, same therapeutic uh, effect of keeping all those people together and uh, not getting sick. But uh, yes, yeah, so oh, final thing about the repeat, he also advocates for drinking orange juice. Is there any downside you'd say to having the fruit juice as opposed to the fruit itself, like with the pulp and all of that stuff in all one place as far as like spiking sugar, things like that? Or is that just for the people who have those particular problems? That's a problem for them, not so much for everybody else. Yeah. So again, it it depends on the metabolic state of health. Uh, I have pineapple juice right here. So uh, it, it can be a, a, an easy source of carbohydrates and then sometimes minerals and vitamins as well. But uh, it, it is more optimal to consume the whole the whole fruits. Hmm. Oh, and for one final thing, my apologies. One final thing that I got to ask is you're recommending fasting in such a way that the breakfast is going to be the big one and then the dinner can be a lot smaller and then you would just fast for you know, the remainder of the day into the, uh, into the morning. 
So I'm yeah. just I'm curious about that because my approach just as far as how I work is I like waking up, drinking the coffee, and then doing a lot of work. And I find like once I eat something, I could still work, but I'm not as I'm not as focused once I already eat something. So that that's my only issue with this uh, eating the breakfast uh, first. But I don't know. Curious. Uh, you could possibly change my mind there. I don't know. Yeah. So it, that subsides relatively, relatively quickly as you reset your leptin sensitivity. Um, so having the, the breakfast of the fat and the protein uh, within 30, 60 minutes after your sunlight exposure for the sunrise is uh, – it increases leptin sensitivity. Leptin runs insulin metabolism, uh, dopamine function, hormone function. Like it, it gets very expensive with leptin. It's one of the major hormones within the adipose tissue in the brain that uh, should be in balance with uh, leptin and ghrelin. So leptin is um, one of the major factors there. That I, I, I do believe it runs insulin metabolism or controls insulin uh, sensitivity more so than the latter or vice versa. So it, it, that does subside over time, um, especially as you simultaneously fix the light environment in your circadian rhythm, getting to bed at a good time, waking up at a good time, seeing the sunrise, the sunset, getting as much sun exposure during the day as you can without burning. So that again comes down to the individual, but uh, yeah, you see, I got a little bit, I got a little bit red right now because I have been spending time at the beach right now. As soon as uh, the weather was kind of optimal for that experience, yeah. but uh, I do use the sunblock, which uh, does not have any bad chemicals on it. It's just, uh, I believe, it's the zinc. Yeah, that that's 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 the optimal form of uh, mm. the sunscreen for sure. And do you think at a certain point, though, like the more tanned I get, the less I would even need the sunscreen because my skin would already kind of be protected? Yeah. So um, melanin is the, the molecule that's produced when you tan is a, a natural sunscreen, essentially. It helps to protect the body from UV radiation. Now, the sunrise and the sunset is very important because red and infrared light primes the skin to uh, prevent damage from uh, ultraviolet radiation. So it also helps to optimize mitochondrial function and melatonin function, which is what repairs your body uh, during the nighttime. And, and just in general, like it increases your, your body's uh, physical resilience, the stress resilience, this physical stress resilience mm. to... Um, but would there be but would there be a certain point at which you could say this is enough sunlight anything else is superfluous or can you just go on and on as long as you can personally handle it and all the better Yeah that's that's the uh that's what I do I essentially spend all day outside cuz I don't burn Mm interesting I mean you look you don't look like super duper tan so maybe it's just the camera so I guess it's just uh, I don't know your uh, genetics you don't really burn as much. I know that your hair looks a little bit red. Like if you notice, my beard is kind of red. And uh, maybe like the red-headed people, I've seen them burn quite a lot. Like I've seen them not really be able to handle a lot of the sunlight once they go out. So, uh, I don't, yeah. In, in 2017, when I was really malnourished, uh, 
I ended up getting a second degree sunburn on my legs when I was uh, river rafting. And now I, I don't, I really don't burn at all. I can spend wow. all day outside it shirtless in uh, short shorts. It, it really doesn't make much of a difference. So what you're saying then is that like all these pale Irish and Scottish people, they're just malnourished. Or uh, no, would that depends, be too far? Like, there's more new, like it depends on uh, nutrition status, the profile of the nutrition. Like there's a lot of uh, nutritional components, herbal components that help protect the skin from uh, UV damage, excessive UV exposure. Uh, you Excessive blue light exposure to the eyes and the skin can uh, create melanocyte dysfunction and melanopsin dysfunction. So that way your body's not producing sufficient melatonin. It's not able to repair itself properly after that UV exposure. Uh, the circadian timing is important. Like they, there's multiple factors I've uh, went into extensively mm. on Twitter and Patreon that allow your body to adapt to the UV environment. Mm. And that's why you're also wearing the uh, UV uh, protective glasses right now, right? Yeah, th these are uh, blue light blockers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S but it's not nighttime where you are. I mean, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not that dark. So, what is the reason why you're wearing them right now, as opposed to wearing them at what I would think would be the right time? Uh, I I wear them anytime as long as I'm not outside in the sun with the full light spectrum. I wear them anytime I use technology. Huh. That's that's interesting. So you've seen a change from doing that as opposed to when you weren't doing that already, you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, like if you look at the light spectrum of uh, the light wavelength spectrum of a lot of these devices, like the laptops, the computers, the phones, it's uh, primarily blue spiked above all other wavelengths of the light spectrum. So it's a uh, regard like it, it sets your brain to a uh, solar noon every single time you look at a screen. So regardless of the timing, it's just a very unnatural source of light for the body. And it just screws up a bunch of uh, internal biological processes. I've noticed it, it's, it's been one of the major factors that is uh helped me to repair my, my body is like really getting disciplined with circadian rhythm and light environment. Whoa. That's quite, that's quite something to think about though, because that means that so many people are using computers today, cell phones all the time. Well, like you said in the beginning, like I asked you, like what is one of the biggest uh, stumbling blocks of humanity today that we have to overcome? And uh, you were mentioning this. So, yeah, there, there we go. I mean, there are there are softwares, for example, there's um, Flux that you could download for the computer, which yeah. should uh, take care of that. Would you say like for the people who don't really want to wear the glasses, they could just download Flux and just permanently keep Flux on their phone, on their computer and problem solved? It, it's not pro it's it's not that easy, unfortunately, like it, it'll help mitigate some of the effect of the blue light, but it won't completely eliminate it. Um, I do both. I use the, there's Flux and Iris software. I use the Iris software because it's more customizable, but I do that on my laptop and then, uh, I wear the blue light blockers as well. And then I keep a window open. So that way the light spectrum is a little bit more, um, balanced rather than just the, the artificial light from inside. Wow. Do you ever stare at the sun? Like, uh, so no, 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 I, I don't do the sun gazing. Um, even when it's red, in, 
Yeah, in that very early morning or right before sunset, like that that red and infrared light can be uh, somewhat beneficial. Like Mm. this is not medical advice. This is just something I do personally. I don't want anyone to damage their eyes. But uh, yeah, I I do look like uh, at dawn and then dusk is when I when I typically will Mm. look towards the sun. But not do not do it midday. At all. Yes. And what, a, and what about walking around like my glasses? They they end up shading. They're like the silhouettes when I walk around in the sunlight. Would you say it's healthier to not even walk around with the glasses and just not staring at the sun, but at least like letting your eyes pick up whatever it is going on during the daytime? Yes. So if you're just sitting idly outside or just like going for a brief walk around the neighborhood where you're not in danger and not driving not putting yourself your health at risk, then you should have the glasses off. So that way you get that full light spectrum into your eyes. And then that'll help set every circadian clock within every organ of the body, the hormones, neurotransmitters, everything that I've been describing uh, uh, regarding the light. Makes me makes me think if there may be also something to that yoga for your eyes DVD that I still have somewhere in my computer where it's supposed to train your eyes to not even need these anymore i don't know if there is a certain limitation you know oh, what i mean yeah, yeah um i i fixed my eyes these are these are not for seeing it's just ah. for blocking the blue light so if you're like near side like i don't i'm not too bad like right now i still see the text on the screen and everything and i see the leaves outside but you know these make things clear what you're saying is that it is possible over time to just fix your eyes like if you're nearsighted you can fix that there is no data to support. Like I've never seen anyone else do what I've done to the ex- same extent, but I, I no longer wear glasses to see. So <laughs> I, I don't really have any data to back that up. I just, how how I can I how can I do this? What's the what's the secret? Um, I've written about it on Twitter and Patreon. Like, there we go. It, it really subscribe ties into, uh, subscribe to Grib's Patreon. I knew you were gonna say that. I think we're going to say it. Patreon.com uh, uh, slash Grimm's, uh, po- uh, I can't pronounce the word, apothecary. That's yeah, apothecary. A- that's G-R-I-M-M-S-A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-Y. Grimm's Apothecary. Become a patron today. Grimhood, thank you so much for coming in. This was an amazing, amazing opportunity to be able to pick your brain about this. Oh, wait, final question. Infrared sauna or regular sauna? It depends on the de- like in general the infrared sauna would be of much better benefit, but um, you want to really hydrate yourself if you do that because uh, it forms coherent cellular water. If you're dehydrated, then it can be uh, extremely dehydrating from the combination of the two. Uh, and then uh, again with the, the yeah, this would take another yes. podcast episode. The next, EMF next and the uh, flicker rate also tie into the infrared devices so all right there is extreme benefit with uh the infrared saunas amazing well i could pick your brain all day and i'm really honored to have you speak with me about this and uh thank you so much for coming in grimhood everybody subscribe once again to grim's patreon please follow grimhood on twitter as well uh, at twitter.com slash grimhood Daniel Grimhood, it's a pleasure to be here with you, talk to you. Please subscribe 
to break the rules break the rules.tv for all the audio listeners that's the easiest way to find it and patreon.com slash break the rules if you become a patron you're going to get these really beautiful magnets for the $20 tier for the uh, $5 tier you're going to get the mp3 episodes after they come out and uh, you are going to get for the uh, $50 tier uh, you are going to get the warhammer 40k figures from jules p hamilton you are also going to get instead of the random magnet the random wooden magnet you're going to get a custom magnet whatever design you want my father to create he's going to create that for you so there we go thank you guys so much for watching all the best good night everybody